Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. And this is a conversation I had with a poet named Sugar Magnolia Wilson. Her debut collection that has been recently released, it is called Because a Woman's Heart is Like a Needle at the Bottom of the Ocean. Now, I didn't know her at all until I read, I read a couple of her poems, which I liked, and then when the book came out, I loved the collection, I loved it. So, I wanted to talk to her because of that. Um, so we had a big old chat about poetry. We talked about a whole lot of other things too, her, her story, um, as is the case on this podcast. We talked about her growing up in the far north of the country and uh, really uh, quite an intriguing um, set of childhood stories. And, um, and we talked quite a lot about music and reviewing and interviewing and um, there's a bit near the end uh, there's a bit of a false ending to this podcast where because we'd had a bit of a conversation on Twitter prior to this and we talked quite a bit about Twitter and social media in this podcast um, she had some questions she wanted to ask me and uh, some of the stuff regular podcast listeners will have heard before we do talk about Robbie Williams and, and Aldous Harding and some of those controversies that have uh, been part of my um, music writing um, but yeah a really good conversation comes from that in terms of uh, discussing a lot of music and a lot of uh, the approach and understanding of criticism and, and interviewing and reviewing and, and podcasting so I, I love this conversation for a whole lot of reasons now it's a little different to other conversations in that after this intro the first thing you're going to hear is a poem that's uh, I wanted her to read uh, something from the book straight away and, and you'll hear you know a couple of poems and as is often the case with parts and then you'll hear one right at the end uh, as well so um, beginning and end of the podcast are poems um, but I, I, I'd urge you to check out this collection um, it's an amazing set of poems and I hope you enjoy this conversation this is me talking with Wellington based poet Sugar Magnolia Wilson Newton Gully Mixtape Auckland the 80s Parents high and drinking Daniel Lebrun in the old state house under the motorway overpass. The place where a young boy finds an old balloon in the gutter and tries to blow it up. The transgression of innocent breath into the grit-lit corners of someone else's used-up life. And inside his stepfather is giving his mother a gift of fancy black lingerie. The muddy incense of expensive perfume a good approximation of a cherry blossom reaching its arm through an open window on a spring night in Paris. Only here, in the cut-rate babel of the South Pacific, there are hints of hot tarmac and frangipani too. Find a fat friend is the party mantra, for a time when the doctor will still hand out speed to anyone who knows its trade name. He'll even turn up to your parents' house, your parents' party wearing comme de garçon, talking in long vowels, and dance with your mother, who he's been secretly in love with for years. Your father won't even mind. Don't forget, the world is almost still young. The elephants of the mind still roam in huge, populous hordes. The rainbow warrior has only just stopped floating among the confetti of floral islands, and we're angry with the French, like a young woman is angry with her insouciant lover. And here, in the city in the summer, the new buildings rising up are the symptom of the melody of the olive-fingered men and their laid-back urban eloquence. Everyone is slick and fast, even if they're sad. 
and in the long grass between closely stitched houses, a collection of children has gathered like a bright halo around a fallen thing, a baby bird. They meditate upon the best way to lift it up, to send it back home. They understand homesickness, the way it zeroes to your bones. So the balloon, it's found again, and tied around the delicate body of the bird, and thrown repeatedly up and up and up into a sky that won't take it back. Happy with that? <laughs> yeah. That was a good reading. I mean, I kind of made a mistake halfway <laughs> yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that, though. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, that's good. Because you said, um, I mean, this isn't it. I've never done this before. I wanted to start this podcast with you reading that for a few reasons, which I guess we'll discuss now. But, yeah. but um, that's cool you made a mistake. Yeah. Okay, you, said, you said you'd never read it before. I've never read it out loud, out loud. before. No, I've never yeah. read it out loud before. Why? I, Why? I don't know. It's one of those poems. I think in my book there's a range of poems that I feel like they're the best and I want to read them out. And then there's a range of poems which I've had for ages and I, or I'm not so sure of or mm. haven't had as much kind of feedback on. And I don't tend to read those out loud in interviews and stuff like that. And mm. some poems are just more for the page than others, right? Like like totally. like live on the page and, and don't necessarily spring out in a reading. And others, you know, there's all sorts of different styles of poetry and performance, but some live to be performed more than others. That's right, and often the ones that are more multi-layered and complicated like that, I find mm. it a bit harder to read out. Not so much read out, but the idea of what the audience will think as I read it out or what they will get from it as I read it out can mm. sometimes stop me or make me read one poem over another. Mm. And I think that one feels quite specific to my childhood. And it is quite a feeling, like I'm trying to get across a very, very much a feeling of growing up in the 80s and the 90s in that Auckland kind of scene. And it's quite specific, so I'm not always sure that a, an mm. audience is going to get it. Mm. But mm. maybe I underestimate. Well, I loved it for, for, for what you're saying. I mean, it, it puts me in that place straight away yeah, and yeah. I've, I've, I love the book and most things in it but on the first reading that was the one that really stuck out to me is like wow this is a this is a thing like I yeah. I reckon it's one of the best single best poems I've read in years yeah that's really cool does I it just, remind you of like well parts I guess parts I mean I didn't grow up in Auckland yeah. um I'm guessing I'm a bit older than you but um it it zeroed in on a time that I remembered and, mm. and understood. And and it reminded me of an incident that happened out on the street out here a few years ago that um, that I still haven't written about that I want to, uh, watching the neighbourhood kids. Yeah. And I guess it kind of, you know, it, it took me there as well. Yeah, so it was just, yeah. just a very evocative yeah. piece of work. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. that kind of thing where, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of insightful of you to you know, looking at the kids, playing out there to connect it to that poem because we don't, like, you know, as adults we often find it hard to see what it is that children are experiencing mm. and what they're taking in and the the social and political climate around children. We imagine that they don't know these things. They know mm. all of it. They pick mm. up on all of it. You know, my me and my friends who grew up in, in this kind of, the, the world of this poem, mm. we, we were privileged in lots of ways, but we also did grow up in that time where things were moving towards sort of free market New Zealand and mm. you know we were it's that sort of slick fast drug takey kind of time where the parents were very 80s and a bit bougie and mm. kind of a little bit you know stoned most of the time mm. <laughs> mm. 
and yeah, kids, kids kind of grow up in these complex sort of yeah. backgrounds. I had this, I wrote this thing a few years ago. I've got this thing on my site, the Vinyl Countdown, where I'm basically reviewing my own record collection. I'm yeah. just going through and playing. Well, not even playing them sometimes, but I just go through the records and think, oh, well, why do I own this? And one of the things I wrote, you know, when I first started it, was a couple of George Benson albums, and I was listening to them going, well, I, my parents played these in the 80s all the time, yeah. and I loved them. And you listen to them now, and you think about them now, and you think of yeah. parents, you know, you think of maybe key parties and cocaine yeah, and yeah, smoking yeah. dope, and, and <laughs> totally. I didn't just miss that, I know that did not happen, yeah, but yeah. it was funny writing about that and imagining how it, would, it could be yeah. the soundtrack to all of that, but actually it was just the soundtrack to whatever night was happening in Havelock North and yeah. my parents' favourite music, you know, at the time. <laughs> totally. And and I and I attached myself to that music straight away and then yeah. listening to it now going, you could totally sell someone on that. that mm. You could make the story up that that is what was happening and it would be no less yeah. true, essentially, in terms no. of writing. And if you think about the million, billion, trillion lives that have happened, somebody's mm. life has been set to that. Yeah. And that has happened, you yeah. know. I mean, that poem specifically is... I have memories of that night, you know, not all of it yeah. is not all of it is true for that time, sure. you know, but it is mostly based around this one night where all of our parents were partying in Newton Gully in an old state house. It was I think still a state house at that point. And um my mum put me to bed and I made her promise that she would wake me up when Malcolm McLaren's um, she's awfully good at algebra mm. came on, mm. which I was obsessed with because mm. my parents loved it and I just loved it. And I said to her, promise me you'll wake me up. Anyway, I went to sleep. I was a kid. She never woke me up, but I woke up halfway through the song and I came wow. down furious. Mm. And I came down to, you know, basically the 80s version of a rave. Mm. It was just like parents going wild, mm. <laughs> you know. Mm. And I didn't I didn't really know any different. Like I was, I didn't think it was weird or anything. I just, you know, reprimanded my mother and danced around and then went back to bed. Yeah. But, you know, that was, that was a very specific time. I love this, because as soon as you started saying that, I just started thinking about being put to bed in Napier at my auntie's house yeah. and waking up and seeing Buffalo Girls on the TV right. and just going, <laughs> I love that. You know, so, yeah. and I mean, that's my mind works that way with music triggers and cues, I guess, but, you know, I, you realise these very specific situations have an application to other people Pe yes, you know have a totally. which i guess is as one of the reasons too apart from liking it i wanted you to read that poem but also i thought you know we're going to hopefully start talking about who you are and where you came from and yeah. in a way that poem does that for people listening yeah. Yeah, and yeah. hopefully creates some intrigue as well yeah yeah um because we we don't know each other we've only just met we've 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 spent a few minutes talking before I this off tape i didn't even know if you had a beard or not yeah well, i was <laughs> i was curious to know why you were curious about that is that a wellington <laughs> no, gauging no, system just, thing yeah, or? <laughs> well no i feel like a lot of a lot of dudes do have beards in yeah Wellington. music like, dudes yeah music dudes yeah do yeah have beards. <laughs> beardy record collectors <laughs> yeah. i i mostly don't have a beard these days right. but it's at the moment i do it's pretty yeah, yeah exactly it's a very in between I'm just working out my next move in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a thing. So a waiting and seeing beard. Yeah, I'm yeah. sort of in a. I'm in a. I'm in a period of. I'm not quite between employment, but yeah. I'm in in some sort of flux where I'm, you know, thinking what my next move will be. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, the, and the, you know, hair is an emotional thing. It's like haircuts, especially. I don't know, maybe more for for women. People yeah. identify as female. 
but for me, hair and my hair length has always been connected with right. my moods. Right. Um, so, how long have you been in Wellington? I've been in Wellington since 2012. So, that's how many? Seven years, six years or something. So, you came down for the yeah. course? I came down for the Masters. So, I was living in Auckland. I was traveling around, working in different countries. Mm. Um, and I came down for the Masters. I had no plans on staying. Um, my mother was from Wellington. My grandmother was still alive and living in Strathmore when I came down. So, I mm. lived with her. Mm. Um, so I did the course, I just made a lot of really good friends and mm. fell in love with Wellington. Um, all of my school friends had moved here when they were 18, 19. Mm. I had tried to, I was too full of grief to manage university, so I left. Um, and then I really understood why people love Wellington when I came back in 2012. And mm. I just got really involved in the writing community. And um, my grandma died and left me money and I bought my first home. And I just, yeah, just sort of all went from there. And... I sort of don't know. Now at the moment we're thinking, do we want to stay in Wellington or move back to where I'm originally from? Mm. Um, but that's a really hard decision. <laughs> well, talk about where that is and yeah. what was happening early in your life. Yeah, so I, I'm from the very far north. So I'm from um, up near Kaitaia. Mm. And um, I'm inland from the east coast. So an hour south of Kaitaia, 20 minutes inland from the east coast, from a system of valleys known as Oruru. Um, and I'm from a valley called Fern Flat. And that's where I was born, and that's where um, my father built our house. And we lived until I was 16 when my mum died. And then I lived from 16 until my mid 20s in Auckland. So, when you, I mean, I've spent very little time north of Auckland yep. in total. So, what, what sort of population are you talking about then? Um, I don't even know how many yeah. people are in the far north. It's not a highly populated mm. area. But it is the, it is, or until recently, I don't know if it's still the case under Jacinda, but it is the, one of the poorest areas in New Zealand. Mm. It's quite remote feeling, you know, mm. it's quite, the, the road to get there is pretty precarious and, um, yeah, there's a sense that it's disconnected from, you know, the central North Island. Um, it feels that way when you get past Whangarei, really. Yeah, yeah, but to me it's just home. I wish yeah, like yeah, I yeah. just coming home, you know, that drive, it's um, five hours to my dad's house from Auckland. Um, yeah, but it's a really special place and I always encourage people to go up mm. there and experience it because it's just phenomenally awesome. You know, mm. it's just, there's so much sort of non-generic life out there. It's sort of people living the lives they want to live and being honest about it and just... You know, the weird thing about living in Wellington is that I love it, but sometimes I get a little bit tired of Wellingtonians having to be so kind of, they're so cautious all the time about what they say, and they're so yeah. kind of like, and it's this weird little white bubble mm. of people who are all empathetic to the plights of everyone, but none of those people live that life. Mm, mm. And then you go up north and you, you actually just get to be you, and everyone's just being them, and it's cool. Mm, it's a mm. cool place. I focus my rage on things in Wellington like more Wilsons, I think. Like, <laughs> that's, you know, that's people thinking they're making an, a good, wise choice. <laughs> but, you, go, you know. It is like I, I can't, the privileged Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, that's not, there's nothing happy-ish about that. <laughs> no, but I think, I think like, some people think that that is them being like, you know, quite. Green. Conscious, <laughs> conscious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. So I focus my rage there. Yeah, and, I know. It's, you know. Yeah, yeah, 
So I sort of understand, <laughs> understand yeah, what yeah. you're saying. Don't get me wrong, though. I I do think... Love more Wilsons. I love... <laughs> more Wilsons is a spiritual place. Mm. No, I love Wellington. I I do think that I have learned a lot while I've lived here. The, dif- the difference between the way I thought about the world when I arrived here versus now, it mm. is like, there have been vast sort of learnings in those years. And I don't think it would have happened without the political climate that exists here. It's a politically charged city, and it means that people are constantly thinking, constantly changing, Mm. constantly trying to do things in a better way, and that affects everyone in the city. Well, it's the only city I've lived in in my adult life, but I feel like, Mm. I guess, you know, I've stayed here and I like it, and I feel like, just relative to how I see some of my friends in other cities and people you meet who have tried to live in particular places and it hasn't worked out, I feel like Wellington is a nice place to... And it allows people to find themselves and, 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 and more or less than that, the groove that they want to, totally. to be in. There's enough of a range of yeah. sort of like subcultures and diverse people doing, doing stuff that you can get involved with mm. the stuff that you care about. And not only that, you can seek it and be accepted into it, mm. which I feel like is different from... I, I absolutely love Auckland too. Like I adore Auckland as a city. I do think it's harder to get yourself involved in art scenes especially. I think Mm. you have to be a lot more connected to friends who are also involved. Um, Or maybe this is an old point of view, I don't know. Maybe that's the way it was when I lived there. But I feel like I came to Wellington, wanted to be involved in stuff, and then I was. And it was just easy because people wanted to do stuff and Mm. wanted to actually be creative Mm. and, and wanted other people to be creative with them. And I really appreciate that. About so, Wellington. what were you involved in creativity? Were I mean, pretty much all kids are creative. But what were you involved in in terms of creativity as a kid? What What did you first find, or what drew you in? Writing. I've I've been writing since I was. I had my first poem published when I was nine, um, and that was admittedly in the school newsletter, which was typed up by the secretary, Lois Webb, who's a family mm. friend of ours. Mm. <laughs> so I wrote, I wrote a poem, um, and it was it was pu- published there, and I just always wrote. I just, I'd always read, always wrote. It was just my jam from, it was just in my bones, I don't mm. know why. Um, and my mum always encouraged me, she bought me an old clack clack typewriter mm. when I was really young. So it was always writing, and I wrote about like, you know, whales singing in the sea and (laughs) Mm. cows crying on the hills and stuff so it was very much kind of hippie kid poetry or you know just nature kid poetry Mm. um but yeah that was pretty much always it and I've written solidly um my pretty much my whole life just I really not consciously until I did the MA so Mm, mm. I just wrote it just came out of me just during weird day jobs that I'd have I'd be writing on little scraps and napkins and stuff and I'd have diaries full of writing and then when I got to the MA and did the the, the, the the course, I it was this crazy kind of like amazing thing where like you get to spend a year just doing this work, but also this kind of weird like stripping back of your like kind of primal creativity and like examining it. And for a few years that kind of ruined it for me. Like I couldn't really write without a critic I'd never had in my head being present. Mm. And it took me quite a while to get over that. But in the end, it was a good evolution because... Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty important... It, it feels like shit at the time, yes. but it's a really important thing to go through. Yeah, 100%. To have that and to have some sort of feeling around 
not being desperate to put everything out into the world or, uh, you know, to, to silence yourself in some way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I and I, don't, I totally believe in everyone being creative and stuff, but I don't think all create. I don't think all creations are good creations. Yeah. And I look back on some of my poetry written pre, you know, the master's course, and nobody should be subjected to that except me. Mm, it's my mm. own personal whining mm. in a really kind of horribly lyric way. Did you burn them, or are they no, buried I, somewhere? I still got all <laughs> yeah, of them yeah, up at yeah. my dad's house. Yeah. Just, the dad has this giant room full of junk, and it's, they're just all strewn around in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I find them every now and again and read them, and I'm like, oh, my God. Right, so they haven't got better with age? <laughs> no, not. Well, some of them aren't bad. Some, yeah. of them, some of them are kind of like, oh, you know, that's not too self-involved. Yeah, yeah. But most of them is that kind of, you know, yeah. stuff. So yeah. I do think that, you know, learning to examine your own work is hugely important. If it's if having an audience is something that matters, it's interesting you. now, isn't it? Because a lot of what we were doing, because you know, we've we've all got, you know, so far a lot of what you're saying is similar to, to me in many ways, and and I sat and wrote stuff out and was writing all the time, and I've hidden a lot of it. Yeah, I've still got it though. You're but to the floorboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's um, yeah. I'm gesturing that it's buried. It's not quite buried. It's actually in in the loft. Right, I should be yeah, pointing yeah, up, up there. Yeah. I should be doing a a sale of the century. Yeah. Sort of thing, um, but but you know it's um, it's it's good to it's good to be aware of that. Whereas now, I guess for a lot of people, you know, they get to tweet and stuff, and, mm. and do they read back their tweets? You know, yeah. who reads who? You know, so a lot of people should read them back before they hit. I know. Hit send or whatever they hit, I but know. but you don't, and I and I, I don't know what's better there. I sort of feel like there's a generation of people putting their thoughts out into the world that the great thing is the way we consume it or ignore it. Yeah. They're never actually going to be that bothered by it, and that's no. quite cool. And there's something quite like. But um, then they won't learn from it. There won't be that learning aspect of I need to be silent. Yes, although you kind of do learn by popular vote, you know. So I think yeah, on Twitter but, you. So if you have an outrageously well-written tweet, it's like having a good poem and people like it and you get sort of feedback on it in that way. But also there's something quite good about the constraint of however many characters it is now. What is it, 48 mm, or whatever mm, it is, I don't mm, know. I'm mm. new to Twitter and I don't particularly like it. But I can see how there are benefits and it can actually teach you to say what you want in a short space of mm. a short amount of words. Um, but there's just a lot of banal stuff on Twitter. So a lot of yeah well on all social media of course yeah. like, there's a lot of people when I'm guilty of the oversharing um you know I try not to overshare about my own life but yeah. I'm oversharing about things in my life like creative things like what I'm working yeah. on and stuff um, which I guess is that I mean it is there for that right and I guess like in another way it's like any kind of place or any kind of country where there are subcultures the great freedom of it is nobody has to listen to people they don't want to listen to. They can be part of groups mm. that they're interested in, and it's, it is, a, I guess, a very democratic. It's thing. a great enabler in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, um, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about Twitter that I feel like everyone just goes to swells of like popular opinion, and everyone gets on the bandwagon and says the thing that they're supposed to say, and it sounds great. And it's kind of just, I don't know. I, I've never uh. understood the, um, you know, I use Twitter, but I'm not a massive fan of it either because I've never understood the levels of sort of snark 
and so the, sort of, the sort of marshalling of troops and po- yeah. uh, po- my, my gang's bigger and better than yours. And I know that probably exists on Facebook in some way, but to me it doesn't feel that way. Of, no. it, it, not the way I try to operate on Facebook and the, and the communities that I'm involved with on Facebook don't really... Yeah, there's a yeah. Little, little bit of calling out, but it's not, not to the same degree. And no. I guess one of the things about being short and sharp with words is you know pithy can become nasty very quickly yeah yeah i think that's one of the things i find so challenging about it is people say things to one another that they would never say Mm. on facebook or in person and kind of yeah and there's this sort of layer of of slightly more getting towards an anonymity on Twitter, you know, like you are yeah. your Twitter handle yeah, rather than yeah. your person. And like you're your an real, ego. Your, kind of yeah, your, your, alter your alter ego may well be your name or some part yeah. of your name or your name may be attached and people know you, but there's still a layer there that there isn't quite on yeah. Facebook with a lot of people, I think. Yes, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it allows people to express themselves in a way that they don't feel they can Perhaps, in yeah. other places. It's, yeah. It's fascinating. No matter mm. what it is, good or bad or all, it's fascinating Mm-mm. to witness. So let's go back to your childhood. How many is in the family? What's happening? Um, so I'm an only child to my father and my mother, but my father had three children before me. They're all 17 years older than me plus. Um, when do you hear about that and when do they come into your life? They'd... They're all the time. They're, yeah. they're constantly involved in, in my life. We've always had a really close relationship. Um, kind of under the umbrella of our father, who mm. is a quite an unusual, um, not unusual, it's not the right word, he is a gregarious, charming kind of person and with lots of faults and we all kind of band together in our love and dislike <laughs> of him. Mm. So, mm. yeah, so we've got a... We've well, got what's a, his thing? So he's an artist. He's He's been a... Um, a woodworker for um, the last 60 years and he's self-taught and he makes really amazing furniture that's kind of inlaid with fish and inlaid with art and is getting more abstract as he gets older Um, but he's also someone born in 1939 to quite a conservative New Zealand um, who decided that he just didn't want to be conservative and so he just led quite a wild he led a wild life until mm. he led a wild what he led a wild life until he met my my sisters and my brother's mother, and he was good for about a year, and then he led a really wild life until he met my mother, mm. and then he was quite wild until my mother died, and then, um, yeah. So he's wow. he's got a massive big kind of handmade house up in the far north that looks like a circus tent, and um, would never call himself a hippie. He just hates yeah. that term. He's he's not a hippie. He's a bit too kind of. He's, he's kind of um, a bit too kind of erudite for that. He's, he th- thinks of himself as someone with very good taste. And, mm-hmm. You know, um, he's just a... And he's, yeah, so, you, you, I, I mean, your use of the word wild is good and, and, and apt, no doubt. When did you... Um, when did you decide on that term or have that presented to you? You know, when did... Because yeah. you, you, we grow up with our parents or one or both of them if we're lucky enough to and we just accept them for the longest time and then we you know we all have a different point where we go 
yeah. I guess maybe it starts around school age or whatever. You start to meet other kids and how and their parents or whatever it is. Yeah, but you, yeah. you suddenly start to see, oh, we do things a bit differently, or yeah. or they do things a bit differently. Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not actually too sure when I started thinking of him like that because he's always been like that, mm, so it was very mm, natural to me. But mm. I think maybe. I realised it as people started to tell me that about myself and saying you're a lot like your father and I, I kind of am in lots of ways. I feel like dad and I, I feel like in families you have people you're very similar to mm. in, in personality or whatever and dad and I are extremely similar, similar in lots and lots of ways and um, I think if I was a guy born in his time I'd probably be very, very similar to mm. him but I'm not, I'm a woman born now mm. and um, my the sort of influences in my life are different and the expectations are different. Um, so I, I guess I kind of identified that in dad and in myself. But yeah, people would say to, I guess people would say to me, you know, your dad's... Out I, there. Yeah, he's out there. He's someone, yeah. you know, he, yeah. he... I remember one of the stories about him from way before I was born when he had young children with his first wife mm. was one day he decided to take Datura. So he just picked three flowers off a tree, put tomato sauce on them, chomped them up and then spent three days looking for dead dogs under the bed like his old sheep dogs that had died years ago thinking they were alive under the beds sticking forks accidentally into his face but he was trying to eat like just wow. you know intense and this wow. is with a family of yeah, three yeah, yeah. young children all like three four five wow you know um so i'd heard though i heard, I'd heard those stories i knew dad was wild even before i was mm. born mm. um and my mum was not like that, so I guess I got to see the difference between Yeah, I was just going to ask, what was your mum's thing? Mum was a well-raised Wellington gal, mm. and she went to Queen Margaret College, or I can't even, I don't even really know the names of the Wellington schools, but she went to those schools, and her parents were all teachers at Scots College, um, and she was a, I think, probably raised in a time where she was just on that cusp of just shortly after she was a teenager, women mm. were not expected to be teachers or nurses anymore, mm. but she didn't quite make that wave. And her parents kind of supported her brother in doing what he wanted to do, but not so much her. So I think she kind of rebelled a bit and just, and was looking for something a bit more interesting. Took date her once and met yeah. your dad. <laughs> that, that's where I feel like this yeah, is Yeah, yeah, or like smoked some pot, <laughs> I yeah, think, yeah, probably, yeah, and yeah. then hung out with dad. Apparently they met at a cricket match. They were playing some kind of like, you know, friendly cricket match and she was the batter and she batted and she had no bra on and when she went running up and down the thing, he saw her boobs flapping and was like, that's my wife. Wow. And that was how they met. <laughs> so there was, yeah, it's a romantic story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very romantic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she was like um, the one that kept our whole family. She was the family glue kind of thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so how old were you when she died? 16. 16. Yeah, I was 16. And um, How do you process that? How yeah, do you deal with that? I mean, writing's been a massive part mm. of it for me, and I, I feel like I've done all of the emotional work around it. Like, you never stop missing mm. someone or wishing things could have been different, but I've done a lot of grieving, and I've done a lot of writing, and I've thought about it heaps, and... You just, it's like we were talking about mm. before when something really challenging comes into your life, you just have to work your way through it and mm. that takes such a long time. I mean, I feel like I was in a grief tunnel that I couldn't see out of for like 15 years. It was just really long, really hard. My teenage years and my early 20s were like extraordinarily difficult for me. 
Um, but I didn't even really know it. I just mm. was too young to kind of know that that's not what life was supposed to be like. And then I kind of finally came out of it, um, I guess, in my mid-twenties and um, realised that, wow, that was hard. Mm. <laughs> but I had I felt like I, you know, I, I sort of did my time, really. Um, yeah. And then it all comes back in a different way, in different ways when you become a mother, I'm guessing. In the craziest way possible. Mm. It's like... It is like living with my mother's ghost, and mm. I am my mother's ghost. It's just, mm. it's out there, like. So that's good for the writing down the track. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. but, yeah. Well, it's, it is. It's like I can't, but I can't. Yeah, exactly down mm. the track. I can't mm. even put it into mm. words. I mm. mean, you know what it's like having a son. It's mm. this crazy kind of. You can feel why it is that in Maori culture, all the generations, ancestors are alive back into the past and into the future, and it's that kind of layering of of aliveness you know sometimes when I'm holding Delphi or doing something with Delphi my hands are just exactly like my mother's hands mm. and I just feel like my mum and it's just yeah it's it's amazing it's also really sad though like sad you know now understanding mm. how scary it must have been for her leaving me mm. that's something I didn't really realize until I had a daughter like I think if I knew I was gonna die and leave behind my daughter I just the courage she had to deal with that. I mean, it's just, people just deal with extraordinary things, mm. you know. So, yeah, but I'm all good now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so your writing is just a, a thing that carries on. It's part of the, as you say, part of dealing with the grief mm-hmm. around your mother. It's... Um, when you're doing it as a teenager, what do you think? Thinking's going to happen with your writing? Absolutely nothing. Like you don't ha- you don't have this point where you're like plan. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be famous. I'm no. going to any of that sort of Never stuff. Never any inclination of like I had, I didn't even ever send things for publication. Right. Like, I didn't okay. send anything to be published until I was in my first year at the master's course. Mm. So I that one that I the first one I ever got published was the only thing I'd ever the school had newsletter one. The school, <laughs> school newsletter. Yeah. I did have a short story published in my undergraduate degree mm. in this. Auckland Uni book but yeah I was never thinking anything along those lines I just wrote out of kind of sheer necessity it was like a Mm. necessary function for me Um, and as a teenager I just wrote wild whatever I wanted to write they're pretty crazy some of them you know like who were your teachers um (laughs) my the first inverted commas yeah teachers totally inverted commas was actually we you know the little primary school I went to had like 40 students in it and everyone who taught there was somebody's mum or dad mm-hmm. they were all teachers but our theology teacher or no our religious studies teacher was one of my friend's dad's Nick Nash and he was a Zen Buddhist and he would come in once a week and teach us about different religions um, and he'd get a speaker in of that religion to teach us about that religion which is when I decided I was a Baha'i which was a period that lasted for like two years <laughs> between the ages of nine and eleven mm. um, <laughs> but he did this thing one day, totally unrelated to religion, he just sort of, he played us weird music, like, I guess it was all kind of religious music in some sense, and said, I want you to just listen to this and do writing. And so that's what we did, we listened to this music and wrote, and that is when I discovered I loved writing. Like, I really, I knew it, I knew, Mm. I'd been writing anyway, but I really got into it and was like, Mm. so he was my first writing teacher, really. Mm. Um, And then I had an amazing teacher called Jude Gregg in my second year and intermediate and she loved just stuff that I wrote just along the way I had lots of 
you know, really cool people just mm. encouraged me. I was lucky in that regard. And then when do you start finding sort of, you know, you say you've always been reading, when do you start finding those kind of teachers, the teachers that already exist on the page, the influencers, right. the, you know, is it... Yeah, and I actually, that's a good point. I don't really think I, I we had another family friend Jerry Webb who's a published poet so he was always mm. there as someone who had done that and those people were the people who told me very early on when I was young about what mid-teens about the Bill Manhire course mm. they were saying to me for years you should apply for this you should apply for this and I was like well I'm 16 and then you know I didn't until I was 29 um and I didn't even really think it was something that I would ever get into I did never in a million years thought I would be accepted into that mm. course I think mm. that's what a lot of people think you know yeah. God never and then you know you don't try so you just don't know <laughs> but um yeah it wasn't really till I got um no I guess it was before that my dad always used to buy me poetry so he bought me a lot of poetry books and I guess those people were my teachers even though mm. they weren't present mm. for me so mm. Mary Oliver the American yep. poet was a big teacher for me um lots of poets like mm. that yeah. Yeah, I remember going through a, a period uh, of just consuming poetry, going all poetry is something you learn from. And then, you know, it's a hard thing to, I guess like anything, like music, like anything, it's a hard thing to really develop an actual taste around mm. and, 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 you know, separate the the good from the bad and that. But it's an important thing to do. But, you know, I just collected up loads and loads of books. Yeah. And, in fact, I've still got, you know, up there's all the poetry books, and yeah. several of them we we got rid of so many, yeah, yeah. and there's probably a lot more that I should uh, remove. Yeah, but there's so many bad ones. Because there's <laughs> just yeah, exactly. <laughs> so much shit yeah, but that's yeah. really fascinating to yeah. to learn from or to study or absorb on some level it too. It is. Do you have a fave up there or a um, fave up there? Gosh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you've got quite a few. Yeah, it? yeah. We got as I said, we got rid of lots. Yeah. Like at least that many again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, know, I just did so. the same thing. I had a big cup. Yeah. Uh, one of the most influential books in, in my life is the collected poems and lyrics of Leonard Cohen. Right, yeah. yeah. Went yeah. up there with the big orange spine. That yeah. that was a massive thing when I was about 14. Yeah, totally. And it's sort of most of the lyrics, but it's also lots of the poetry. And that was really big. One of the most amazing writers of mm. things ever. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess that got me into wanting to check out other books of lyrics, yeah. like Bob Dylan's lyrics, Paul Kelly's lyrics, Joni Mitchell's lyrics. As those yeah. volumes started to arrive, I was a sucker for them. But some of them don't work for, you know, lyrics is a different yeah. thing. Some of them really don't work on the page. That's true. And, and I've found, amazing. I found reading Joni Mitchell's lyrics when I got the book really underwhelming. Yeah, but right. I knew she was great and yeah, I loved the music. Yeah, yeah. And then now, like the last few years, I'm so into her music again. Uh, it's never the music's never left me since I first heard it. But now I listen to the lyrics and go, they're incredible. Mm. And I almost want to try reading them again. But I'm like, no, I think <laughs> I think she had that amazing thing of these are so yeah. deep and personal and intense. And what makes them incredible is the fact that not only do they really come alive with music, but just the fact she was even able to conceptualize that yes. because it's so much deeper than a lot of songwriting. Yeah. And yeah. so why feel the need to put it down on the page and say it's a poem as well? Why not just let it live as a song? Totally. And that's mm. probably, I, you know, it's that 
what we're talking about before in terms of st some stuff being for the page mm. and some stuff really being better spoken. Mm. It's like a thing isn't itself unless it's kind of presented in the way that it was originally intended by mm. the person who's created it. If it's kind of peeled back from its melodies and put down on the page just as the bare bones of the words, then it becomes something different again mm -mm. and not the kind of 3D thing that it was supposed to be. So... And that, yeah, and that was the thing with Cohen is that you know, the the poems and the songs were were variations. You know, like yeah, he right. published a book and an album with essentially the same title at around the same time. Mm. He was he was workshopping this stuff. Some of the poems become songs, like right. famously, like Suzanne right. is, a, is a poem, and then it becomes a song. And then and then some of the songs, you know, later in his career, he decides to recite because yeah. it be, because, it, because his voice becomes so much more of a, a recitation tool than, yeah. you know, he's never really a singer or whatever. Yeah. So he, he's really playing with both forms the whole time, so he's a different case. Yes, right, he's actually doing two creative I mean, things. Yeah, that's right, and, two. you know, a, a published award-winning poet before he ever wrote a song. Yeah, right. So there's that, you know, first and foremost he really is a poet yes. but but I, I I sort of see in his work that he's yeah he's he's allowing both forms to ask questions of one another you mm. know he's he, there's a dance which is awesome yeah is yeah because awesome. that Suzanne song is the one with those amazing she gives me tea and she brings oranges. tea and oranges brings, all the way from yeah, China yeah I just that's my probably like my favorite little kind of mm. moment in any poem ever mm. I just think those are such simple beautiful unexpected words mm, and I mm. think that's what makes language so fresh and good is when you just ever, they're familiar but you don't expect them mm, have you ever seen that movie Breaking the Waves the Lars von Trier movie oh I, it was the first one of his I saw and I thought it was fucking bonkers oh but my when, god that's quite old eh yeah so yeah you know that poem um, Newton Gully Mixed yes eh? The main woman in that poem, she played us that when we were like wow. 12 or something. Wow. And we were like, because yeah. this isn't about a woman who goes onto a boat and mm. like has sex with sailors and stuff. Mm. And all of us as 12, 10, 11, 12 year olds were just like, holy shit. Yeah. She was like, this is good education for you guys. This is art. <laughs> <laughs> Ghostbusters was rented. Yeah. So you're, <laughs> you're watching this. I mean, yeah, I remember going and seeing that and just thinking, what the fuck is this? Because it was my introduction to him. Yeah. And, and really to that kind of cinema. And, uh, but I do remember Suzanne, as you, lots of music is used in that. Lots right. of great music. And right. Suzanne and is used. Yeah, yeah, and that really blew, the use of that yeah. really blew me away. Yes. And that's sort of the first time I watched it, that's what I took home from that film. I was like, I don't really quite know what I just fucking watched. <laughs> what was that? But I do know that Suzanne is now even better than I thought it was. Yeah, you know, right. Like, yeah. Because yeah. he also, yeah, I mean, he's the one who did Dancer. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is one of the most traumatic things I've ever seen in yes. my life. I, I, and I think probably um, Breaking the Waves yeah. was also quite traumatic, but I yeah. only have vague memories of it, like vague kind of traumatising memories yeah. and kind of, but it made a, a big impression. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've triggered something. <laughs> no, I no, it's, I just had forgotten because she actually laughs yeah. about it. She says, do you remember how I used to play you those movies? Mm. She used to play us like... Chinese epics and stuff and wow. just amazing films and we'd all sit there as these little kids being like what the fuck is going on but like all spellbound yeah. by these weird which <laughs> you know in a, in a more um, opaque way speaks to what you were saying about you know kids work things out like mm. when, you, when you think they don't know like, totally. like you might not fully get the impact of that 
film as the director intended it or as its intended audience is supposed to take it but but you get that film you're getting something from yeah, it it's yes, ha- and it's, it's certainly having an impact it's going on subconscious yeah yeah, definitely. yeah i mean all all of us all three the three of us who watched all of those movies grew up as quite like i guess we kind of had a melancholy that right <laughs> probably yeah. those films were a part of creating mm. like a mm. You know. See, I was more like watching things that I shouldn't have watched at that age and younger, but the different kind, things like King Frat, which right. is which is the I, worst kind of you know um, prototype for the Seth Rogen sorts of right, movies right, now. Right, 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 um, yeah. Just, just <laughs> absolutely a no go in the Me Too yeah. era, but a comedy. Yes. But just absolutely no go. Or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's right. you know the, yeah, the, yeah. the sort of really um, twisted. Horror kind of films, really, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, I guess it's that contraband type, yeah. type aspect. We know we're not supposed to be seeing Which this, is so if so we can, attractive as a yeah. child, yeah. it's like the things that you can't have are the things that you want the most. Mm. I think you know that's natural to wanna mm. to wanna watch those things. Mm. Totally, yeah. Mm. For me, it was like um, I didn't really, we didn't watch a lot of TV at home, but for me, it was, you know. Marijuana was just like a big part of life up in the far north, even though my mum, she would smoke it sometimes, but she was pretty sort of, you know, didn't want us seeing it. But of course we did. They were all smoking all the time. So for me, my contraband thing that I was intent on getting as a child was pot. Mm. I was just like, I need to try this. I need to... urban myth, pardon the pun, or or the pun is probably relevant, the urban myth is that that's what drives the economy up north. Yeah, well, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't know now what it's like. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle of being hard and then potentially not hard in the future. But, you know, it was growing up, we, there was this sort of infamous day where a police helicopter flew over our valley pulling weed out. Mm. And, you know, a police helicopter, da, da, da. And then you hear a shotgun and somebody's shot it out of the sky and it crashes. And lo and behold, it's not a police chopper. It's just somebody who's rented a helicopter off somebody and put a police sticker on the side and has gone around robbing everyone's <laughs> everyone's pot. They never found out who um, shot it down, but some local who, wow. I don't know whether they yeah. knew or not, but that was just our little valley and there was, you know, it was mm. being growing everywhere around there. So that was, yeah, that was the thing that I was kind of obsessed with getting a hold of as a child and so were my friends and I don't think our parents even knew that we were, of course, obsessed with the things that they were obsessed, obsessed with. with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these, what could have been, um, <laughs> she, a sheer hobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly, like, you know, now it's like a cell phone, Yeah. you know, like, but then it was, it was, it was pop for us, and we were all really, really into giving it a whirl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and what were the early experiences of that? Good or bad and uh, good and bad, what were they? Both, good and bad. I was nine the first time Mm. I smoked pot. Um, And I stole it from my dad's. My dad had like a... I actually won't tell you where it is because it's still there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But he had this place where he kept it and I got it um, one Easter. And I remember I put it like it had been given an Easter egg and I Mm. put the pot jar into this Easter egg bag. And like now that I look back on it, it's like just awful. It's mm. like, oh my god. And I ran up with it to the trampoline and my dad saw me and he was like, What are you doing? I was like, Nothing. I was terrified that he would find <laughs> out. Anyway, my friends and I another friend had this massive, massive property way up in the bush and they had an old hut on it that some old meditating dude had built but had left years ago. So we all said we wanted to go and stay the night up there and could we? And they mm. said yes. So we all went and smoked 
we all went and stayed the night there um, and you know tried to smoke that night but I was the only one who inhaled properly yeah. I was the only one who actually inhaled properly and nobody believed me everyone thought I was lying because I left my body and I floated up in the rafters looking down at myself going oh my god oh my god oh my god like I'm so stoned and everyone was like you're not stoned we're not stoned mm. we're not stoned and then I started to realise like that language was this like powerful thing and I started <laughs> I started to go speech speech <laughs> <laughs> and they were all like what the fuck is going on with you and I was like speech just <laughs> and that was the first time and then wow. between 9 and like 16 I probably smoked about 4 or 5 more times um, and each time was just like you know a child's brain isn't ready for that kind of yeah, thing yeah I was talking to someone Recent, only recently, actually, for, for one of these podcasts, and he said, do you want to have a smoke before we start? And I mm. said, no, because, um, you know, I don't smoke weed much, no. and I don't mind it, and when I, when I have it, I enjoy it, but, um, you know, I probably have it, like, a couple of times a year or so, and he goes, and I never really thought about it, and he goes, well, if you're only smoking it that much... You're kind of having a psychedelic experience. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm just yeah. thinking that when you're talking yeah. about, you know, the undeveloped or underdeveloped brain, brain of a child, like totally. you are, and, and you talking about feeling yourself leave your body. Yeah, yeah. You are having a psychedelic experience. Moment. 100%. Yeah. And yeah. I'm the same as you, right? I still experience pot that way. I don't mm. like smoking it that much. I go down some kind of weird um, sort of rabbit hole thing. Mm. And yeah, so I'm similar Did to Did you have a period, though? After 16 and before now, where you hit it hard at all? No, no never. 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 I just, it, wow. t- it, t- it was too intense for me as a child. Mm. So I always associate pot with stuff that I don't feel good about. Mm. So I I didn't like those experiences as, as a child. Mm. So I um, just associate it with that. And so I never, I've never, I've probably smoked pot like 20 times in my life or something. I don't really, this doesn't do it for me. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's not really, I don't find it fun. Yeah. Yeah, I've had the occasional time where it's been like, "Ooh, that was great," but I can never tell. So. And, and of the great sort of like uh, propaganda documentary styled <laughs> discourse, was it a gateway to other things for you? No, luckily, I never. Doesn't really, sound like it. Yeah. No, I mean, I did, I did, I was pretty wild for a while. Um, you know, I did, like a lot of New Zealanders, young New Zealanders binge drink and stuff like that. But I never really, and you know, I dabbled in other stuff but I never got involved in anything mm. substance wise hard out which I feel very thankful for mm. I feel almost lucky that I sort of had a, an experience early on that turned me off mm. wanting to kind of leave myself in that way I quite enjoy being centred in, in myself and I um, yeah so luckily I didn't I, didn't do I mean that. I know you know there's a whole you know uh, and I was, I'm a f- was a big fan of William S. Burroughs and yeah. all of that. There's lots of great writing that comes from and is about drugs. Um, yes. But I always found uh, one of the things that put me off smoking weed lots was I couldn't write. Yeah, no. And I wanted to be able to write, you yeah. know, whether it was a poem or a record review, and sometimes yeah. it was both, uh, of a night, you know, when I'm thinking back to my university days when all of my friends were smoking weed lots. That's, that's probably the real reason I didn't do it that yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't know if it was the same for you, but 
I always felt like I had something I wanted to write when I was yeah. stoned, but then yeah. and thought it was amazing, but then yeah. you never finish it. Yeah. And got halfway through. Or you read it back and it was garbage. Yeah, or it was if you just did, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. No. So. And so that's that's cool, like that idea of being open to allowing that to happen to see if it translates into something. But I think once you recognise this 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 actually inhibits my flow, it doesn't yeah. doesn't enable me. Yeah, totally. And I feel like, you know, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but I sort of feel personally like creativity is, um, and good creativity is an earned thing. Like, you actually have to work quite hard at a creative thing in order to break through a wall to write what it is that you really want to write. And it's a long process, and I I don't really personally feel that you can just smoke a joint and then write something that, you know... Well, don't you, maybe don't, you, can, don't right? you think the big... Um, and we don't maybe know this at the time, but don't you think the really big step in creativity is establishing a voice, a valid mm, voice, you know, yeah. your voice? Yeah. That's that's what I've yeah. come to think of it now as, that that's the really big, that's the thing that takes the time. Yeah. And because it's, and because there's, um, you know, there can be some red herrings, like you can be pretty sure that you've established your voice, I need to find out that you haven't at all yeah. you know so <laughs> yeah I mean I don't know I feel like voice for me is I get really sick of my voice like I feel like I have kind of always had Fuck, my voice you should try having a podcast oh I don't know about that I don't know if I could <laughs> no, do no if that. you want to get sick <laughs> oh I see what you mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah no like I just get sick of hearing the same like I've got a way that I write and mm. I, I get sick of hearing that and I kind of I'm constantly trying to move outside of that voice. And so I don't know if for me a voice is the thing that I... Although in a, in a way, and yeah, you're right, in a way that in writing you kind of do need to be able to create, create that voice so people can unify your work as not just sporadic stuff about nothing. It is mm. part of a bigger movement that you are putting out there. Um, but I, yeah, I get sick of the tone of my voice in writing. You know, I don't mm. know if you experienced that, or are you... With your work. Well, with my... <laughs> well, yes, feel free to tell me if you experienced it with my work. But I mean, you're, like, if you're yeah, writing... Yeah, no, totally. Work, and, you know, you know, the more you do it, you know, you see how imposter syndrome creeps in, Yeah. you know, <laughs> totally. with people, isn't it? Because, like, the more you do it... I mean, I've always been a prolific writer. Yeah. Um, you know, I was writing as a teenager for myself, yeah. and I was spewing stuff out. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Just the kind of the time I got into publishing in terms of music reviews, it was the the sort of end of the golden era of newspaper stuff. So yeah, right. you know you had to do a lot of stuff like mm. so, and then I moved into blogging when that was a viable thing, and you need to turn up and you need to do a lot. So yeah, yeah. I sort of already had that acumen or whatever or that approach, but. Um, yeah, it hasn't ever slowed down for me, so mm. I definitely get sick of, you know, I feel yeah. like I know lots of people are sick of my voice, but I'm, but, I'm amongst them. But I them, think maybe you know? if you're doing lots of different sort of mm. medium, mediums, then well, maybe Well, I think, yeah, your that voice can help. Yeah, that can help, because you've got different ways that you're having to present things and say things. And but it helps, yes, it does, it helps you get on the horse again, and it might help uh, other people who are drawn to your work for whatever reason, but uh, I think you still ha- end up having the same feeling. like Because yeah, it, yeah. it all still just comes from you. Yeah, that's That's, that's how true. I feel about it, yeah. anyway. And kind of no matter how you try and change your voice, there's always that essential kind of you mm, in mm. the middle of your creative work. And it's the same, like, you know, you read the writing of, of anybody and no matter, no matter what they're writing about, it's always quite essentially them. 
in a way, mm, mm, you know, mm. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. Um, so you, you do eventually apply for the man high course. Well, it's not the man high yeah. course then, but yeah. you do the. He was still well, there. He was still there. He then. was still there, but he was in his last. That was his last year at the right. high school. So, so he, he was just, a he was director like or a, whatever. Yeah, he was a ghost director. Yeah, yeah. And everyone would be like, oh, yeah. it's Bill, and then yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was still there, but, um, yeah, it was two separate classes, so Chris Price. So, yeah, I eventually applied for it and got accepted. And so you got in the first it. time you... Yeah, got in the first time I applied, and that was exa- insanely exciting. Mm. Um, yeah, and the nerves turning up on the first day were just really outrageous to me. I was really nervous. I'd never read my work in front of anybody in my life right. before, and the first thing you do... Is read. read a poem out to the group. That's how you introduce yourself. And they critique it. Yeah. Or actually Chris crit- critiqued it. You know, this like, and not meanly, but just like, this is, you know, I, this is, I loved it for these reasons. I thought it could, a different title would be mm. better or something. Mm. So it's pretty pretty intense to get thrown in like that. And then we just had this wild, I feel like I've said wild a million times, but we had this pretty intense year. Our group of poets were pretty, all pretty full-on characters. Mm. And we clashed really intensely but in kind of a very productive, productive, creative way. So I've talked to maybe up to a dozen people that have done that course for the podcast, and I know and I know a few others, but I don't know that I've talked to anyone from your year. Mm. So that's quite cool. I seem to keep getting people from different, different years, years yeah. which is understandable. But yeah. um, So who was in your uh, Hannah class? Hannah Yeah. Um, Greg Khan, Zara Butcher-McGonagall. Um, we had Julie Hannafee. Adam Stewart, um, Coco Solid, and Nancy Fulford, and Jane, whose last name I momentarily mm. forget. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I don't know all of those names, but the ones yeah. I know, I'm like, I can see what you mean by an intense... An intense, yeah. Yeah, 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 and a lot of talent. Yeah, we had we had some pretty um, big personalities in the class, and... But it was really great. Like we we sort of fought quite a lot and quite passionately fought about poetry, um, but, but in a constructive, in a constructive and way, useful way. It was quite mean sometimes. Really? Yeah, it was quite mean sometimes. But it was always. I look back now and I'm just eternally grateful for that year. Did you leave the class ever? So momentarily crushed. Just no, didn't no. Didn't get quite to that. No, no. But I think other people did. Right. Yeah, I think there were a couple of times that other people were like because right. of you. No, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. <laughs> no, we were pretty, yeah, there were a couple of times when things got a bit, I think maybe mm. went a bit too far. Mm. But I think in re- probably everybody looking back is thankful that we were in that year together. We definitely weren't mild, and that meant we kind of all learned a lot, I think, which was really cool. And so Chris Price was running it. Yeah, she was running it, yeah. She's a pretty great facilitator in my understanding I, i've done a, a class with her it wasn't a poetry one but and i like her work so i imagine yeah. she's great at that she's yeah. absolutely amazing she's mm. so smart and mm. she's so kind of structured she has a very sort of structured approach to things and she's just super intuitive about writing she and i mean this in the best possible way where it could sound like a, a strange compliment but um she strikes me as very calm and fair she is really calm and really fair She's really, um, yeah, she is. And I was having a conversation with um, Hannah and Rebecca Hawkes and Tay Tibble a while ago, actually after my book launch, and we were talking about Chris and saying how she never treated us. 
she treated us as though the fact we were good writers was always was already a given. Mm. So she you didn't, were there. We were there, and she didn't feel the need to tell us how great we, we were and how yes. she loved stuff. She spent most of her time trying to help us. Yes. Try, really, really trying to... reassure to, you, to yeah, focus you. Yeah, to, to focus us. Not so much to reassure us, mm. um, to, but to, to push us further than we thought we could go with mm. our writing. So she spent little, very little time saying, you know, this is fabulous, and a lot of time saying, okay... Is that a police helicopter? I don't know. Should we shoot it down? <laughs> <laughs> you got a gun? <laughs> Yeah, no, she's she's great. She's mm. a very centering person to have mm. at the helm of the of that. So mm, mm. yeah, it was awesome. And so I take it. I mean, I know um, because I know you have a, a collaborative relationship with Hannah. So I take it some friendships and yeah, collaborations came out of that. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a case of it all ending in a giant adversarial heat. No, no, definitely all. not. It, it it's. Um, sort of was the seed for a creative writing group that I started that lasted up until only last year that mm. had many incarnations of different people um, but it also was the reason that Hannah and I started Sweet Mammalian our journal mm. um, which is still going but we're just the domain's gone off we've got to just set it up again it's all kind of all over the show yeah um but there's an issue of that coming out soon which is the exquisite corpse issue which Hannah's been managing which she's been sending the first stanzas of writing from different poets around to different poets. It's going to come out that they're all written by different people. Mm. Um, and so, and also Greg Kahn and I, up until very recently, we've been working on an anthology for Auckland University Press together. Of It's a, an anthology to, to sort of to define the new wave of New Zealand poetry. And your um, books were published together. Yeah, we launched by the same together. launched together by the same. Yeah, publisher. by AUP. Yeah. And his book is frighteningly good. It's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing book. His, and also was this paper both. Yeah, yeah. They're both incredible. Yeah, he's um, like ludicrously good. He's hyper smart. Yeah, like, like hyper smart I, and hyper creative. I felt incredibly intimidated reading that new book. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, fuck! How does one person do this? Yeah, that's how totally. I felt. And it seems it's sort of like on first read, sort of simple, but then you realise mm. it's, it's not at all. Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 incredibly deceptive because it it's is. impenetrable, but it doesn't feel that way at no, first. No, no. Subsequent reads, you're yeah. like, man, there's so much to unpack here. Well, I think that's kind of what Greg's like. Mm, right. Yeah. 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 No. No. I I know nothing about him, just his work. So I've not yeah. met him or anything like that. I just am pretty dazzled by yeah. and daunted by how good his work is. Yeah, it's it's a shame actually because he what we were co-editing this book together for AUP. Mm. Um, um, and I completely understand, but he's had some really intense personal family issues, so he's had to pull out of being my co-editor. Okay. Um, which we did a lot of really good work up front, though, so mm. we've got really good bones to go on. But Hannah and I are going to be editing it together now, so it's an exciting. So this project. is AUP poets. AUP poets? No, no, or no. It's it's it, everyone. Everyone, but it's everyone. for AUP. It's for AUP. It's mm -hmm. going to be published under AUP. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's going to be a um. Basically, nobody yet has anthologised this kind of new voice yes. that's happened. This new. And when did that happen? I don't think there's a place you can put your finger mm. and say this is where it began. Well, where are you doing that for the you know for the book? Where am I doing? Yeah, where are you putting your? Well, <laughs> I don't. We don't know yet. Right. So we're still defining yeah, yeah. these parameters really. And mm. um, we sort of had started off saying that people who'd had a book published since 2000 mm. or had a very strong publishing his rec record but not necessarily a book mm. that they would all be considered 
Um, but but I do kind of feel like in lots of ways Hero Bird started something that I think has been really flourishing ever since. Yeah. Um, and when it's not going to be chronological at all, so it's not yeah, going to yeah. start with Hera and end with now. It got yeah. it does go back further than that, obviously, because she's taken her you know creative mana from others yeah. as well. You don't exist in a vacuum, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just. Yeah, we're still we're still figuring that out, and Hannah's only come on board as the co-editor in the last two weeks, and we haven't even met about it yet. And every every movement or moment has its sort of yeah, like almost like a Hera high point. Yeah, totally. And you know, it's like there were beat combos before there were the Beatles. Yeah, you know, 100%. it's like this. Yeah, there's yeah. always you know, and there was there was alt country for years or whatever you want to call it, and then yeah. suddenly there were one or two hype. Bands, but and so yeah, she does yeah. fit that kind of, which is not to trivialise her, her at all. Quite the opposite, but yeah. she does sort of fit that bill, doesn't she? Of she being does. the the profile poet, I guess, too, in terms of the momentum that was gathered on the back of yeah. her success and giving people, I think, the freedom to create poetry in a way that like didn't involve headlands and oceans and native birds. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. being freeing yes. people from this kind of New Zealand poetry that yeah. was kind of that we were in a weird way expected to write or it wasn't really New Zealand poetry. I yeah. think she did a big job in liberating people from yes. that. And a lot of her influences came from American writers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like Mark Leidner, the huge influence. And so I think she was learned enough to take that stuff and, and really make it her, her own and, and, you know, free us from a certain mm. sort of way of writing. But, yeah, no, there's... I mean, I, I mean, I don't know her. I only know her as an extremely helpful and knowledgeable bookseller when she was doing yeah, that. Yeah. But um, but And so I've only had those interactions with her, really, but um, pretty pretty supportive and giving of... Yeah. And, and, you know, a great ambassador for the... Because yeah. her poems, I mean, her best poems sort of seem to somehow both... Um, mock and celebrate poetry all at once yeah, I think totally. <laughs> yeah. which I think is totally fair you yeah know, absolutely kind of ridiculous oh ab- absolutely <laughs> yeah 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 and so you know poets are so self-involved and mm. egotistical and it's sort of yeah mm. I think it's it's necessary to be able to look back on the thing that you're doing and think about how it really looks to other people or mm. you know to think what it really is but you know with, the, with this anthology one of the things we really really don't want for it is that it's a Wellington anthology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is supposed to be a broad look at the writing that's been happening in New Zealand recently, as in the last sort of 10 years. And it's definitely not going to be a an IAML sort of, you know, roll call. That, yeah. that would be our worst yes. nightmare. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. there are so many amazing poets. Steve Brawnings has already written the review of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But the... Now, to my mind, and I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm saying anything... Um, that's not obvious here, but the the real strength in what you're talking about here in this work is comes from um, women, female identifying writers. Mm. Does it not? It I does. mean, we've, we've just been talking about Greg Khan, who's yeah, absolutely yeah. in that mix, yeah. who's incredible. And there are you'll be able to tell me more names than I can think of. Mm. But if we're thinking of the big names, you know, we're thinking of here and now Tay Tibble, yourself, yeah. Yeah. Hannah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. That is one of our challenges, is we have to somehow find the place between... You know, it's, it is difficult. A lot of the people who, when I think about my favourite poets, they are women, mm. and they are often young women. And that is those are people that I want to publish, and we want mm. to have in our book. 
but at the same time there is just such a uh, there is such a range of people publishing out there maybe not in the traditional sort of format maybe not they're not publishing on the page yeah you know? yeah so there's a lot of you know I, I actually tweeted that I had requested through AUP from the National Library a list of everyone who's had a book published since 2000 since 2000 a and poetry it's, well, poetry it's yeah. 2000 people 2000 in people in New Zealand in New yeah. Zealand and that is not including the people who have a great publishing history online yeah. or in journals <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. we just have an epic task ahead yes. of us and we need to, at the same at, at the same time that we need to be very clear about considering everyone, we also need to trust our gut and our intuition because we do, we love poetry so much, you know, and we love the way that it is right now in mm. New Zealand. It's, it's Have you, uh, has there been a thought around making it essentially a female-driven dr- volume? Well... No, because um, a book that is about to come out, and I think it's with Massey University Press, is Paula Green's Wild Honey, mm-hmm. which is an anthology of every female poet in New Zealand that has ever existed. Mm. So I feel like we're all in there. Yeah, we're all right. in there. I mean, we could, we could kind of make an anthology that was just youngish women in mm. New Zealand, mm. but I think, I think the time is. The time is, it is the right time to be making an anthology that reflects more than just those people. Mm-mm. There are too many people that write beautiful stuff to not have it be much more diverse than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like, I feel like, you know, women, and especially young white women, get a lot of, a lot of publicity, a lot of, they get a lot of their work printed already, um, so I feel like it's time for something a bit different. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah, cool. So that's a, a, a huge task that sounds like it's only getting bigger the further you it look. It is so, so huge. The further you look into it. It is like, yeah. I, it's a monster. And when's that due next week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably first feels draft, like that. First draft is due in September. Right. Um, it is just, it's the, the if I think, it's one of those things if I think about it too much, I just want to go lie down on a bed and mm. eat a sandwich or something. It's just it's too epic. So I just we just truck along bit by bit, you know. Mm, mm. Yeah. So you complete the course. Let's go back to that. You complete. Yeah. You finish the course. What do you? What's your? Because I, you know, it's been a while since I've talked to a poet that did the actual poetry stream. Yeah. In that course, what's your? What are you assessed on, and what's your commitment to that course? What do you have to show for it at the end? You divide. You you basically submit a folio. Yeah, you have to have a a, a book length work at the end of it. So yeah. you man, basically your thesis is yes. your book. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty loose. Like you know, if you ended up writing something that was thirty pages long, and that was considered the creative entity that it needed to be, that would be respected. Mm. Um. So yeah, you're assessed on basically on that, and then you're given a grade. And I guess in lots of ways, like assessing any creative work, it's like wildly subjective. Mm. So, you know, a group of people assess it, and I think those people are like Chris Price, Damien Wilkins, Fergus Barrowman, and then your external assessor, um, your external person. Is that someone you choose, or that's someone blind to you? that's someone blind to you, yes. So Anna Jackson was mine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know who they are, but you don't get to choose them. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe you do get to choose them. My Mm. memory doesn't serve me well. But yeah, so you're kind of assessed like that, and then you get a grade. <laughs> yeah. And then that's. And what, that. beyond the pass fail, like you actually get a. 
yeah, A you, down to you F, get, like no, whatever, you, A down Yeah, to you do. You get an A, A plus down to whatever. I yeah. don't think anybody ever gets lower than like a C there. Yeah. I think, yeah. And, yeah, you get like a distinction or a merit or whatever yeah. along with it. Yeah, it's pretty random. Yeah. And then, you know, if you're at a sort of a publishable standard, often, um, well, like a couple of the people from our year... Oh, no, VUP didn't publish anyone from our year immediately. No. They published... Greg had his book published just after by AUP, and Zara had her book published by Hugh and Cry. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's pretty much how it went. And at the end, you just need to lie down for, like, two months and just think about what's happened and mm-hmm. feel exhausted because it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Emotionally exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah, I was going to say, like, as part of that emotional exhaustion, is there... Well, you can only speak for you, but is there a feeling of almost like, I don't know if I even want to do that again. Like, does it get to that? or? Yeah. At the end, you kind of feel like the pressure has built to such a crescendo mm. that you just, you need it to be, you need it to be over and you need I've to move just, on with your life. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got that poetry fad yeah. phase out of my life. Yeah, I need yeah. to go and grow up and do something. Yeah, or you can't, I guess it's different for everyone because yeah. some, for some people it'll be like that. For me it was like, thank God I've done that now. I can mm. move on with my writing life in a mm. way that I'm kind of conscious of. Mm. You know, there's a lot of criticism of the AML and the courses mm. run there. Mm. Um, but the, 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 the best thing you get from it is the ability to look at your own work and think about it properly. Yeah, yeah. Not just sort of write unconsciously. Yeah, I was listening to um, something the other day that was sort of saying, you know, like the, you know, and you sort of referenced it, the the privilege that a lot of, I guess, particularly white, and around universities, a lot of white writers have, male and female, Mm. is that university system, and that provides the the thing that's hardest for for writers, which is time to write and time to read. Totally. Because reading is such a big part of... Of writing. Of writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that privilege that's inherent in pretty much every system and structure yeah. that we that we have. So it's amazing to, you know, it is, it is like the, I email that course is a little bit like getting the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's factory, isn't it, for writers? To yeah, you just don't get a year in adult life to sit down and write and read. You mm. you you generally don't get it and our year also was the last year where they had the student allowance for postgraduate right, students yeah, yeah. if we hadn't I think probably half of our of our poetry would stream we wouldn't have been able to do yeah. it I wouldn't have been able to do it yeah. you know so it was it is really different now trying to do that yeah. and yeah I mean in our year the three streams you know at least 75% of people were white mm. you know I mean that is a sad you know reality at the moment i don't know i think i'm not sure what they have in place now Mm. but it is i'd say still the case yeah yeah yeah. and so what what when do you pick yourself up from the end of that course and go well that was successful that was good yeah here i go again (laughs) only really recently in terms of the book coming out so you know i now understand what people mean when they say oh it took me seven years to write a book they don't mean, well, mm. most of them don't mean they're sitting down at a desk every day for seven years writing Yeah, book. that's right. They they're actually walk just, away. They, they walk away, come back, throw half of it out the window. You taking know. a breath, gathering some, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Going up to your dad's house for three months and loitering yeah. around doing nothing. Like, you know, it's kind of a process. And so I would read back on my manuscript, a lot of which is in this book, and just think mm. it was just the biggest load of shit ever. 
Um, but I had a couple of people in my life really pushing me to do something with it. Hannah Mecker yeah. and Anna Jackson. Mm. And um, so finally I put a hold of my new stuff together, a lot of stuff from my manuscript and submitted it. And it was only once it was published that I that I got to hold it and look at it and read through it that I thought, yeah, that was finally that year has sort of paid off. And now I'm clear of the self-doubt I had after the course and I kind of know where I'm at creatively again and what, how to write again, which I didn't for a while. So how much percentage-wise of this book comes in one way or another from that course? Probably, Almost oh all God, of it in a way. 75% like, yeah. comes from the course. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and anything from before that? What's the oldest, the oldest, I guess the correct way to ask that question is, what's the oldest yeah. poem in this in terms um, of... There's nothing I wrote before then. Nothing predates it. The, the Pen Pal series yes. is a cut-up sequence of letters I wrote as a child. So that is mm. a, a writing from my childhood days. Mm. Letters, not poetry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm. that's the language in there predates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Predates but it, yeah. The composition doesn't... Yeah. No, yeah. And do you want to read something from it? Yeah, it's sure. It's been a while since we've... Do you yeah, want to sure, choose sure. something? It's been okay. a while since um, we've heard you Let me just read. have a little look. Yeah, have Okay, a I'll read um, Moonballer. Yeah, I'll read Moonballer, which is a love poem. Mm-hmm. Open up your mouth and we'll press our lives together. In the future, you'll stop breathing. And in a loving way, we either will or will not have been kind enough to one another in this lifetime. Remember the night we thought we heard an owl telling the future? Remember, no matter how hard we looked, we couldn't find its two pale orbs among the camellia's dark branches. What I meant that night, but said badly, or didn't say at all, was your b-baller's touch was like a stone fruit, hot from the sun, tender, but with an aftertaste of rocky indifference. Traces of planet, mineral amethyst, a hint of dry riverbed. I think I am terrified of being left alone with a spade on a small, sweet-skinned moon where the view is beautiful but nothing will grow. So I'll kiss you on your big pink mouth, but leave before I learn it's me who's not fit for life. Short poem. Mm. When did you start reading poems? Uh, like, well, you you said the first time you read was the first day. Yeah, yeah. Of that course. When do you um, what do you do during that year to uh, improve upon the feeling of of that? Yeah. Like, do you suddenly go, well, this is this is my life for the next year? So you start turning up to the open mics and the yeah, events, or not really, no? not really the open mics so much as what you the first thing you have to do in terms of reading in front of an audience is do the the next page at mm-hmm. Te Papa, yep. part of Writers on Monday. Yep. Yep. So you have to get up at, in the marae there and yep. get in front of everyone. So that was probably the first time I read, or maybe I did go to a few things before that, but that was the first time I really read in front of a big crowd and I was so nervous I had to take a lorazepam. Yeah, because that's, like, I was just going to say, that's a, I mean, obviously it goes without saying that any poetry reading is some sort of literary crowd, but that's mm. a literary crowd that turns up to that writers yeah, on Mondays. Quite that's like an full of crowd. other writers yeah. <laughs> and people interested in writing. It's an established yeah. thing, and it, they can get quite big numbers at it. They can totally, yeah. yeah so it's pretty pretty daunting. Um, so you yeah. popped a yeah popped a lorazepam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My auntie gave it to me. Didn't even know what it was. Yeah, I don't it's remember a, yeah. much of the reading. Just yeah. Remember laughing about my own joke in one of my poems or something. Yeah. 
Um, but it was after after that it was you know it was sweet as it was still one little razapam so that was great. But yeah, I've never really <laughs> after that I've read I've read a lot I've read in public a lot mm. um, and I just don't really get nervous thankfully I I was that first couple of times but well how did you crack that uh, apart from razapam I think maybe my years of teaching English overseas and speaking in front of groups of people teaching helped me get past the fear of speaking in front of groups of people. I just... Sure. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I've always I've always known what it is I want to say when I'm speaking in public. I don't really have to write something down and read it out mm. in terms of speeches or whatever. I don't know. I just It's just something I've found quite... I don't find that difficult, um, which I'm glad for because I know it can be, like, one of people's biggest fears is mm. public speaking. Um, yeah. So just, I don't really, I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean, because I was always very, oh, it's Bowie. <laughs> I was always very, very scared of, it, Yeah. At, you know, high school and that, and then one day it just clicked, and I can't yeah. really explain it beyond the fact that just eventually I got used to it. I can't explain it either. There's no, there's just, at some point I realised that just, A, people don't care, people mm. don't, People think way more about themselves than they do about you, even mm. when they're listening to you speak. Mm. And and B, I don't care what they think. <laughs> mm. Mm. I don't like. I'm just doing my well, best. Well, that's the, that that's actually the key, right there. Yeah. Like working out that having that confidence that I don't actually give a shit what you think. Yeah. It'd be great if you liked it. Yes. Because that's cool. Because I'm trying to um, connect with you on some level or share something with you and so if you like it or are interested in it that's great but if you don't that's fine like and, it, and, it, and that's a hard thing for people to yeah you know and I wonder how that's it's been I, I found it really interesting because I've just started attending a few sort of open mic things again after yeah. many years away yeah from that scene no when I call it a scene I was never really hugely connected to it but I did used to go to a few mm. and I must have had 10 years without attending a single thing and going to them now I find them really interesting I find them a really maybe a less combative uh, sort of thing than it used to be yeah, maybe right. it's maybe it's more uh, respectful yeah I, you mean I the mean general this, mood or your vibe like do you feel more relaxed no well I, well, I, I, I probably feel more relaxed I suppose yeah. but um I just mean the general mood. Yeah. I mean it in a good way. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. mean they're pandering to people. It's just really cool that people, no one's really there to bust anyone. No. No one's really there to, and I think I maybe felt that. But then, yeah, maybe that's just my insecurity of that earlier time speaking. It's maybe probably a bit of both. A bit of both. You know, because I think, I reckon the... I think it's really cool though. Like, I've gone to a few in the last four or five months and they've all been great like yeah. I've enjoyed them and I'm like man the standard and I'm going to things you know this is well it's all manner of people some some are published and known but some are wildly unpublished mm. yeah yeah and uh, edit, you know could do with a jolly good editing and yeah. all of that because it's all sorts <laughs> yeah yeah but it's great like they don't they don't care. They, no, they're doing awesome, their right? thing. They're sharing their thing, and yeah. it's great. I love it. I haven't been to many open mic things, but I went to the um, fundraiser for the families affected by the Christchurch bombings, yes. Christchurch terror attack, and um, read there. And it was a lot of poets for the page, and a lot of spoken word poets. Yeah. And the vibe is just so cool. Yeah, it was so I about meant sharing. To get to that and I didn't make it, but that was packed, right? It was, it was packed. packed. When I first got in, I couldn't see anyone. I was like, yeah. hardly anyone's here. And then I looked around the corner, and it was just like jam packed yeah. with people. And you know, as a as a reader of poetry for the page, you're not 
often up in front of a crowd that has, you know, you've got those lights shining right in your face where you actually can't mm, see anybody. Mm. So for the first few seconds, I was like, my God, I don't even know who I'm reading to. And then I slowly, their faces came into, mm. but it was a wonderful event, like full mm. of love and it was really cool. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the book comes out, the book yep. takes seven years-ish yep. from... 2012. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? I mean, you become a mother. Yeah, I become a mother. I was say, what are you doing? And then I realised <laughs> that that's a pretty big step and a pretty yeah. big thing. But yeah. before that, what are you do? So what are you doing? You've done some teaching yeah. of English overseas. Yeah, taught in Korea, taught in Japan, taught back in New Zealand. Was sort of just milling around, really, like working, kind of being a bit lost, not really knowing, not lost in a bad way, but just kind of that 20s, Mm. you know, thing, just mooching around and working and stuff and travelling a lot. Um, and then, yeah, and that course really just solidified the kind of, like, adult part of my life that kicked in. Like, mm. it was after that that I met my partner and had my baby and got a house and all of a sudden things became very adult. Yeah, yeah, those are all big. <laughs> yeah. You push them together quickly, but I'm sure they all yeah. had their own sort of game of chess attached to them. They like, all happened really fast. Right. They all happened within, like... Three, they happened in three years, house, like, just so fast. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Suddenly I'm like, you know, my whole life is different and I yeah. live with these pe- two people that I didn't know four years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's really weird. Yeah. But it's it's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, the book comes out to a few rave reviews that I've seen. Comes and out to a couple of really good reviews, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. Which was, is yeah. there a nervousness around that anticipating that is that yeah a bit like reading for the first time and you know, yeah 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 definitely like I mean one of the kind of slightly good things is it's almost like a running joke that as a um female poet who's been through the IML <laughs> yeah. you're gonna get a review from a middle-aged white man who yes. just absolutely hates your work yes who hates and hates everything you stand for yeah yeah and so possibly might have even read it. Might, yeah, yeah, Possibly. maybe. <laughs> Might have. <laughs> but, but, you Probably know, it's going to write it anyway. Yeah, it's going to write it anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of, like, my friends have received reviews like that for amazing books. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, it's a double whammy, isn't it, being, um, outside of being female, it's the double whammy of going through the IIML. Yeah. And as usually happens, being published by a university press yeah, associated yeah. with that. So they've got yeah. two things to gripe at yeah totally and I mean I don't know I guess from their point of view if I was in their brain maybe I would be able to understand it or something (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I just feel like they lump everyone together Mm. they just you know they read well they there was there was a review they this one guy reviewed Hannah's book and it is one of my favorite poetry books Mm. ever I just absolutely love it and it's about so many things it is all he could focus on was the fact that it was about her personal life and it's like what what poetry isn't in some way or other about the personal Mm. which is also the most political thing you can get is the personal life that somebody's leading and making choices and thinking and I I just Mm. made her work so small and it's anything but small Mm. so it's that kind of thing that of course I was maybe nervous about but also expecting and wouldn't really have minded if it had happened and also you know who knows there might be a negative review that's completely legitimate like whatever yeah yeah yeah. so it's yeah part of the course but it is nerve-wracking so but you managed to avoid 
So far. They're at this stage. Yeah, so yeah. far. <laughs> yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah, but you never know. I mean, yeah. you never know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, you know, it's it, obviously a first published work, significant first published work. It's a... Uh, um, yeah, you, you, you would rather have a couple... You, you know, anyone who says they don't read reviews, they don't care, that's fine. But mm. it's pretty good to have a couple of really good... It is awesome. Strong reviews under your belt. That's got to be validating in some sense. For sure, it definitely is. And you know... And it's going to hopefully help with sales. Yeah. And that's another thing that yeah. it's, it's not... Um, you it's know, a good thing. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not ridiculous to, to want that. No, no. And, you know, as someone who does creative work, you will know that you can slog away at something and you get really no feedback at all on the thing. And so mm. having positive reviews is like some form of payment. You know, as a yeah, poet, yeah. you don't yeah. get really much money from a publication. No. You get very little. And so people's feedback is actually what makes it worth it in the end is, mm. you know, because I'm not writing for myself. Yeah. I'm writing for an audience. Yeah, I, you're hoping for an audience. I'm hoping yeah. for an audience. Yeah. And so people re- taking their time that they probably get very paid little very pay hardly anything to review yes. my work is a real gift. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I feel really grateful for those people. So the book's off and out in the world and doing well basically. Yeah. AUP said it's sold out. Mm. So it's sold out. I think that means AUP has sold out. So you can mm. still get it in like Unity Books and yes, stuff. Yes, but they've sold their print run. Yeah, they've sold their print run. So I think they're inquiring about another print run. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's out there doing its thing, which is exciting. Um, and I'm going to be at the Auckland Writers Festival, so I'll be mm. there on one of the panels, and then I'm going to be at the... I don't know if this is actually... No, actually, I'm not supposed to... Anyway, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, can, yeah. <laughs> we can cut that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so the book's out and about, and so, yeah, you'll have a few things that you'll carry yeah. on doing with it for... Yeah. Uh, however long as you're asked yeah and how and, and you know and then mm. but what the majority of your attention now is really with the anthology mm. yeah it is with the anthology definitely i've got i've got one quite cool idea for what i want to write next but it actually involves finding another person to collaborate with which i think is a really hard thing to do um but yeah at the moment my focus for the next at least two years year and a half will be the anthology mm. just trying to Trying to get and that this, right. And this new collaborative thing will be poetry, poetry based. Yeah, poetry based. And it's a specific story about something that happened in New Zealand in the yeah. past. But I need, I can't write all of it. It's not my place to oh, write yeah. all of it. So I need well, you need Christice. Maybe Christice. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I need Christice or I need someone um, who has a Maori perspective. Right, okay. Maybe on, not him. But the, he's pretty good at that. <laughs> he is he's very pretty, Pretty good at that, yeah. and pretty good in general. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. How to be year, how to be dead in a year of snakes yeah. is, is absolutely amazing, and that yeah. is actually it's not too dissimilar from what I'm right. thinking about, but yeah. it involves multiple. Yeah, characters. yeah, um, yeah. And so, yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you've got this whole generation of poets around you that you're friends with in some cases and yeah. that you're in, you're editing and anthologizing at the moment um what about the i mean obviously chris price belongs to this i guess but what about that generation above mm. you know the likes of chris and then i guess bill who you know yep. and so forth what that sort of tier of you know mm. are there are there people there that are really important to you are they oh. are there people there that are still 
producing work that you care about. 100%. Like, I, you know, it's that, it's the kind of, I guess, whakapapa. You Mm. know, like, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in now without those people. And their work has been what has shaped not only our ability to do what we're doing now, but the way that we write, you know. Mm. So, you know, people like um, James Brown, um, Mm. Alistair Tiariki Campbell, I mean, you know, Hone Tufare, all of these people, they they are the foundation on which we on which we stand. Mm. You know, so um their work has, you know, fundamentally shaped how I think about poetry and their work still matters to me unbelievably. We know. really do have so many great well, you know, we've got so many published writers and good writers in New Zealand, but poetry for all the bad stuff, and there's loads of it, but we really have some great, oh, great published poets in New Zealand. It's amazing. I mean, Kate Camp is just mm. off the chain amazing. Mm. She mm. is, you know, one of my all-time favourite mm. poets, and, 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 and a poet in a way that is kind of so international, not even international is the right word, sort of beyond time. Mm. She's, she's someone mm. who writes outside of the boundaries of time and mm. she doesn't feel like, her, I don't feel like her work will ever date. It's just solidly amazing creative work. Um, and it's that great thing of an establishment of a voice, but each volume or whatever that she publishes is, is you know, unique and surprising so and interesting. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't, it feels like she's able to escape her own voice, which is yes. something I really envy and Wish I could but do. you can recognise her. Yeah, you can, exactly. Is what I mean. It's like, still it's that main, yeah. Established and the voice is established in that sense. You can recognise the person behind it. Yeah. It all lines up. Yeah, but um, Jenny Bornholt. Yeah, another yeah. great example of yeah, that. Yeah, she's I think. incredible. She yeah. had a poem recently published, and I forget whether it's called Flight or Flow or something. It's, it's she wrote it recently, and it is one of the best poems I have ever read. I mm. wish I had it here to read to you. It's mm. just so beautiful and it's you know I think that's one of the things about this anthology like while it is about young voices I we would never want to say that it's about that because those those other voices the voices that are older are just as important and mm. and and absolutely amazing and you know there is a real obsession with youth mm. our culture is obsessed mm. with youth so mm. it's not like you know we're sort of meaning to not include those people but we just haven't had an anthology yet which has sort of rounded up the current yeah 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 current voice so, yeah yeah that's cool but yeah Jenny Von Holtz awesome yeah yeah um well we've had a big old chat is there anything else you want to you want to you don't want to ask grill me on anything and you don't want to um, you're I'm, I'm I'm only asking that because you, you you seemed via Twitter which she loves so much right yeah um, <laughs> so I couldn't tell whether that is an elaborate ruse or not you seem to be seeking out some information from me on yeah. Twitter <laughs> But yeah. I've answered most of your questions. I do have a beard. And, yes. And, and you don't have a Robbie Williams voodoo I don't have doll. a Robbie Williams voodoo no. doll. How did you feel about that whole thing? Have oh, you talked about it I, before? I have talked about it yeah. um, a bit. Yeah. So I don't mind talking about it, but I wonder if people uh, that listen to this um, want to hear it again. <laughs> but I'm happy to talk to you about it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I talked about it, I guess... Um, I can't remember. I talked about it on stage once. Yeah. I did a thing with Nick Bollinger and I talked about it a little bit there and we put that on the podcast. Yeah, look, I feel okay about it. It's very strange. Yeah. It's very strange that yeah, it yeah. continues to come up, really, yeah, is, yeah. is, I guess, how I feel about it. I mean, the things I find strange about it are um, he wrote about me in his memoir. Oh, 
Well, that's, that's why it's so unusual. That's what's weird. That's yeah, why yeah. So, up. like, the th- exactly. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> so, like, yeah, just the fact that it's sort of, and I, I think the thing that I found quite funny about that was when his book came out, his second memoir. Someone screenshot me some photos of right. my name and. Oscar gets named and Katie gets named and it goes for a, a, a few I mean he was sending me screenshots off a Kindle or something so but I think it goes for three or four pages you know I don't have the book one day one day when it's in a bargain but I'll have to buy it and put you know have it on the shelf I guess but but I, I had a quick look through these sort of screenshots of it and um, and read it and it's very weird mm. to, to see it that the story told the guy who wrote I mean it's it's a memoir but it's Ghost written and right, okay. written by another dude who doesn't even try to write as if he's Robbie. He refers to right, Rob the whole right, time, okay. but then it's only got this Robbie Williams' name on the cover. That's I think strange. it's very, yeah. very poor mm. bit of writing. And so this guy's so in awe of the fact that he's writing about Robbie Williams that I could only ever be cast as the bad guy. Right. Yeah, so that's yeah. kind of quite funny. But I think like within a day or two of that coming out, this book of um Dave, uh, a book called David Bowie a life came out and it's like an oral history of David Bowie yeah and or David Bowie and I, I'm I'm in that and I think I'm the only New Zealand writer in right. that and yeah, yeah. you know you know that's cool like I got approached by the guy that edited it and I yeah. didn't think that I would make the cut and I yeah. didn't really know what his project was he approached me very sh- soon after Bowie's death yeah said I want to use this piece you've written um is that cool? And I said, yeah. you know, there's no payment or anything. And I was fine with yeah, that. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, of course, go for it. And it was like an old blog post I'd done. And I sort of thought, oh, he'll, he's using that as a as a filler, mm. <laughs> you know, when he gets better people. It's the old imposter syndrome coming Well, out. I just, no, it's just, you know, I just sort of didn't really quite, I thought the, this project won't, either won't happen. Right, or, yeah, Because yeah. it was so early. And I hadn't really known much about it. And then the book came out and I went to the bookshop to have, I saw it and I started flipping through it. And then I thought, oh, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if I did make the cut. No, I suppose I won't know. And then I looked in the index, and there's my name, and it's like, uh, my name, and it's like Tilda Swinton or something like that. It's <laughs> mental. And, like, the list of contributors to this book is incredible. Yeah. You know, it's like um, everyone in music and then that's yeah. still alive and, you know, all sorts of people, like Ricky Gervais, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And then there's me, and it's like, what the fuck am I doing there? Well, I happen to write about this David Bowie album that not many people like, I think, so mm. I think that's why I'm in there. Yeah. And um, I just thought it was funny that that came out right at the time of this Robbie Williams thing. And yeah, so all I, all I got from people was questions going, you realise you're in Robbie Williams' <laughs> memoir? And it felt, <laughs> felt like such a dick move to go... I'm actually in a book about David Bowie, you know, which I, so I never did that. That I can do that now because a few yeah, years yeah. have passed. But, you know, just sort of thought it's fun. Like, you, you know, it's such a great um, extension of you can do all this, whatever work you do, you can mm. rave about albums, but as soon as you say one thing, shit, you'll be remembered for that. And, and that, that's what the that, media that, does, right? That just showed that to yeah, me, like that, yeah, that, yeah. that difference between those two books. But, yeah. I, but I never had a problem with it at the time. It's It's... There's nothing you can do about it. It happened. No. It's it's always struck me as weird that he took that reaction to one review. 
I know, it's so surprising because he must have been... He must have had... He must have had criticism. The British press is his, brutal. They're brutal. And he must have... That's all I keep coming back to is... Must have been a particularly bad day for him, a particularly yeah. sore point, and he reacted, and yeah. that's that's that. It's and funny because that whole thing happened, like, I don't know how long after the concert, that, that sort of exploded. Yeah, oh, happened. within days. Yeah, because yeah. we... Did that, you go to the concert? No, no, but my, my I had only just met my partner, was right. about four years ago? Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. he lived in a house right next oh, to... by the basin. By the basin, and so we listened to You're it, right, and we were yeah. just lolling, you know, well, yeah. not Robbie Williams fans, so we yeah, were just yeah. kind of like, oh my God, listen, blah, blah, blah. So when it came out, we were like, well, yeah, that's kind of how we had experienced Right, it. right, yeah, yeah, okay. And then it just kind of went crazy and you know he responded and it was like what is going on mm, like, I mean it was yeah it was weird because like you recognise like I had this whole what I had to work out was I had this whole robust sort of I don't give a shit I've said what I've said mm. I really don't care he's garbage at music and he was garbage on the night and that's what <laughs> I said and I don't feel bad about that Absolutely. and it will move on, yeah, and that yeah. was my attitude, and it really was like the next day, it was kind of like, oh yeah, my child and my wife are implicated in this. Yeah, right. And yeah. so my armour is actually, it might be helpful in mm. defending the family somewhat, but it's not about me and my armour, it's about yeah. them and how they feel. Yeah. And uh, that's that was probably where I had to take a... I don't know what learn a lesson or something. Yeah. I had to kind of just consider, yeah. shit, this is bigger than just me, mm. and that was the thing. I think the, yeah. this, I guess, the self-preservation attempt to mm. not really. I mean, it was never in doubt that I wouldn't talk to the media about it. There's yeah. nothing to say. I've, yeah. I'm part of the media. I've had my say. You look like a dick if you get all involved in it. Yeah, but, yeah. but it was more the kind of like. How do we ride this out? Mm. Katie was very much like, "When's this gonna stop?" Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, it'll stop in a couple of days." And then, and then, and I guess it only really went for about a week. Yeah, yeah. But Which then feels like quite a long time. Well, it did for a bit, but then yeah. I wasn't too worried about. It. But then the fact that it kind of came up in his book yeah. was well, because he wrote me an email to apologise to me. Oh, and about so, what, the memoir, uh, the no, about no, that's in the memoir too. Oh my <laughs> so god, that's why it's a few pages. That's that's, that's what so that's what I mean by it's fucked out. It just carried on. <laughs> so I think I was supposed to be blown away that he apologised to right. me, or I was supposed to publish something around that, and I was just like, I'm not giving him the satisfaction of it because you know it's fine, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I just wrote back acknowledging. Yeah, I got, the, I got the apology, thanks. Yeah. Like, I just had to write back to his manager, did you receive it? So I said, yeah, I did. And so in the book, it's like, you know, Sweetman, Sweetman was so cold, he merely said, yes, got the apology. <laughs> oh, my <you> know. God. <laughs> so as I say, wow. I'm, like, I'm like this kind of, um, you know, You're comic like book villain. villain. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah, they're really, yeah. It's like, well, I guess so. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like, I mean, as far as... I, I didn't get into writing about music to have a beef with anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of, you know, having a beef with someone, I guess it's kind of funny. But, yeah. Um, it's not, you know, I don't mind talking about it. But there's no way to talk about it without seeming like you're a little bit more chuffed than you are. I'm really not. No, you no. Know, I, mean, I, I, I find the humour in the situation. Yeah. But it's meaningless to me. Like, and I think until you go through something like that, which most people don't because most people aren't involved in the media in the way that they would be engaged with, like, by, like you know, with, like, someone mm. like that, um, 
you don't know what it's like and that's why I always hold a lot of respect for like I always think about people like you know Kim Kardashian <laughs> and mm. the amount of uh, what she sees about humanity that we don't see you know the way mm. she sees the waves of responses to just the way she lives her life and how she actually has to deal with that on a daily basis like actual hate she has to deal with people vehemently hating her but still mm. managing to carry on with her life and and live her own life I sort of think you learn a lot from those situations in, in a way that people can't unless they get to see the face of the the bigger pack that is humanity yeah. like that. The way people respond to things en masse. I guess, like, yeah, I guess the volume is the thing. Yeah, and we lack yeah. that here too, we largely. Do, yeah. Have you seen the new, it's just very new, but the Brene Brown, um, do you know um, Brene Brown? The, no. Well, she's an a academic and social worker and social researcher and she's amazing she writes books and but she's got a netflix special right and um because she did a really famous ted talk and so this netflix special that came out just last week is her really doing a giant ted talk right. and it's really good but early on in it she talks about um the response to that first ted talk right yeah and how you know she she kind of knew she'd nailed it and it'd gone well yeah. but then the comments start coming in and the comments, and she just, she's able to read them out and laugh about them, but she's sort of talking about just how horrific they are. And they are just these ridiculous things like, you know, they're like the worst YouTube comments of all time. It's yeah. people going things like, I know you're not telling me how I should improve myself because you would have lost 20 pounds oh before you God. ever got on stage to, you know, it's my God, shit yeah, like that. Yeah, and she's yeah. reading them out. And my first thought watching her go through this was like why do you even give a fuck like mm. you're so good yeah you nailed you've nailed most things you've done and you definitely nailed that and why do you even give a shit but the volume means yeah. you can't avoid it because and she talks about i just wanted to sit on the couch for seven days in my pajamas and you know eat and cheesy cry. stuff and yeah. cry or whatever whatever she says and it's kind of like at first i thought oh you know how could that even impact on you mm. But of course it does because of the volume of it, yeah. the sheer amount. And, and it's like an ins insistent, insistent something you cannot voice. turn off. Yeah. yeah, because all those comments end up becoming one kind of representation of the level of awfulness that can mm. be present. Mm. And so then it's like a voice actually yelling, like you know, you suck. Yeah. You that big voice. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and so I guess like. Yeah, well, that Robbie Williams thing was a tiny bit like that, mm. nowhere near on that level. But yeah. but when I compare it to, if I think about it, and I compare it to pissing off devil skin fans mm. or or not liking Aldous Harding or Lord. <laughs> was it you who said she looked like a goat? No, I oh, said okay. she sounded like one. I would never be so horrible as to say she looked like a goat. See, this is how the, this is how this, <laughs> this shit how starts. It works, it's, yeah, why aren't people going after you? <laughs> No, I said she sounded like a goat. Like That's a goat, way oh, different. Yeah. That's yeah, way yeah. different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking like a goat, sounding like a goat. They are different things. Yeah. I mean, not if you're a goat. But well, not if you're yeah, a goat. But yeah. in terms of, but if you, yeah. it's a simile of some sort. That was yeah. that was the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that was me. Um, so, so those sorts of things. All I was going to say was those sorts of things, like pissing off people who like Elvis yeah. Harding or Lord or Devilskin yeah. or Six Sixty. Those are probably the things in New Zealand and yeah. it's just so small fry compared to yeah. I mean Lord's pretty massive yeah. but 
it was so early in her career that she wasn't. Yeah. And so they were just so small fry compared to like a global Robbie mm. or an international Robbie Williams audience. Yeah, That's yeah. all I'm trying to get at there. Like. Yeah, no, totally. And, the, you know, and then, I mean, did any of those people ever respond to you directly? Like, so if you pissed off, because I only know about the Elder mm. goat mm. thing. But like, oh, the Devil Skin fans were pretty brutal. But did the did Devil Skin themselves say anything to you? Yeah. Oh, they did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think yeah, yeah, a couple. Of, uh, one of them did, but um, they were pretty. Yeah. I mean, Devil Skin fans were like actually going the length of sending death threats and right. pu- publishing my address online. So is Devil Skin are they like they're a, a death metal, metal band? band yeah, right. okay. from Hamilton or something. Right. And um, they were like. Publishing my address online, and this is where this is where you need to go to give him shit directly, and someone yeah. needs to post shit on his doorstep. And oh my god! They were yeah. actually publishing the address I no longer lived at, which which made me feel far worse because I was just like, yeah, I was like, holy yeah. fuck, like how awful for people that bought a house I used to live in. Yeah, they, yeah. They don't need to inherit that shit. Like, I wonder if anything happened. I notified them about it. Yeah. And they were pretty good about it. They were kind of laughing about it, going, nothing will happen, but thanks for your concern. And I wrote to one of the guys from Devilskin who seemed the most reasonable and explained the situation and basically said, I'm a big kid, I can handle this. But that's pretty stink. You know, if you... I'm not blaming you for your fans, but if you know about this, because yeah. I think it might have been someone from inside the band that had done I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, I'd appreciate it because it, it was on their website or something, their yeah. Facebook page. I, I sort of said to them, I'd appreciate you taking that down, but I, you know, if I mean, you want to tell me to get, kind of, it was like, if you want to tell me to get fucked, that's fine. Yeah. And he sort of wrote back basically saying I should tell you to get fucked, mm. but, um, yeah, all right, I don't really owe you anything, but we'll take this now. I said, I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's really kind of you, yeah. considering, because it was really about sort of just protecting some other random people mm. that had nothing to do with it. Yeah. So that's about as heavy as that kind yeah. of got. Um, what do you think about the... I've got Aldous Harding and Lord, their mothers wrote to me. Right, I've got, that's yeah. the question I've got for you. <laughs> you so go. how do you feel about, like, I think some of the response to that was that you don't like young mm. women... Singers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like that? the, <laughs> I'm like the middle-aged poetry reviewer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I know you're no, not. But no, like, what, how, what, Well, how do you know I'm not? Well, we I don't, we've I only just know. met, so I don't know. why have you... like, My vibe says you're yeah, not. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. The fact Good. that you can talk openly about stuff and the yeah. kinds of questions, the fact you asked me here to yeah. talk. Yeah. I mean, those things. But you might be. I don't know. Are you? No, I don't. I, no, I don't think I do at all. I, I'm. I guess with both those things, like Lord and Aldous Harding. What I was probably trying to do, and in both cases, I probably got it fairly wrong, really, in terms... Well, I, you know, I probably got it wrong and would have been better not publishing what I published. Like, right, yeah. I don't see it... I personally don't see it as a giant um, takedown or insult to post a mm. goat video. I think it was humorous, and it yeah. was a non-review, and it was me being a bit silly. But... Uh, would my world have been a bit easier if I just wrote nothing about that album? Yeah, yeah and that's right. what I would do now, and that's a better move. Right. Um, so, and with Lord, I don't know, I thought I wrote a pretty good critique, but I 
wrote a couple of things that were a bit... Was that, was that a review of her latest it was a, No, it was a review of her first oh, EP. Her, oh, her first EP. Yeah, it was really early, early days, the thing that broke her. And yeah. I was trying to cut through the... In both cases, really trying to cut through the hype and yeah. go, what is it about? Why have these two resonated with so many people? Yeah. And what is it about them? And what I found really frustrating and rich about the Lord thing was loads of people telling me, she's not for you, buddy, you can't have an opinion. But loads of white male writers 10 or 15 years older than me mm. were all allowed to say how much they loved her and that was fine no right. one was telling them hey shut up yeah we don't need to hear from you guys but because they were broadly in support it was all yeah. like oh big tick more reviews more positives for her and i was right. like it's interesting how something's not for you and you don't get to comment if you don't like it yeah and i yeah. was a bit frustrated about that yeah. so i think i over-egged right. my omelette, yeah, as it were, yeah, right. uh, or my metaphor. I, I, I went a bit too far with that. And so, you know, and then it, what happens in New Zealand, I think, too, with that is suddenly it just makes you null, it's null and void. Don't mm. bother writing about their stuff ever again because mm. people just, you know, there's actually an El- Eldest Harding album coming out tomorrow. Yes. Design. As we're speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, mm. it's like... What do I think of it? I haven't heard it yet, but yeah. it's just like I just need. So to, would you not? Even oh, I just need it again? probably not. I just need yeah. to prepare myself for maybe a month or two of people tagging me and yeah. really positive reviews and going, "See, see, this is how you write," you know. And yeah. it's just like I just let people have their yeah. if they want to do that. I'll just remove my tag, the tag, or just leave it and just let people. That's what's going to happen. Because if I say that I love it and genuinely do love it, it looks like I'm. Trying to make some weird yeah, right, like you're trying apology to make, make and make amends. If I say I don't like it, it looks like I'm, I'm on some fucking brutal crusade because mm. I hate young women yeah. songwriters yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And if I'm mixed on it, like, why, you know, it's just like, don't even get involved. Yeah, so, yeah. You but know, will you listen to it? You? I'll probably give it a listen. I've yeah. heard the couple of singles and I've, oh, yeah, I haven't listened to, I've listened to the two singles that are out. I yeah. think there's, well, I know two singles and I quite like them. Yeah. I think they're all right. I think they're better than the other stuff. Yeah. But I, I still, my issue with her stuff at this point is I don't believe it. Right. I don't believe huh. it. I think, you know, it's fine to be a character. Yeah. Like, you know, Bowie played lots of characters. Mm. Lots of people love pointing out that Bob Dylan's not his real name, so therefore he's always been a character. Yeah. That's fine. But I just don't really quite believe it. I think, yeah. you know, I think she might be better off. Maybe she'd become like an indie film star and she'd be really good yeah. at that. <laughs> I could imagine that happening. I've, there's no question she's got talent. Yeah. I just, you know, the music's not really for me because I don't quite... Because my opinions of her are shaped hugely from going and seeing a show. Right, yeah. And I thought, what? everyone was raving about her. So yeah. I went to the show and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, right. yeah, I thought yeah. she was having a stroke. Right. And I had to ask the person at the door, is she okay or is this what she does? It's yeah. like, no, are you not loving it? And I was like... No, this no. is fucking stupid. Yeah. So I gave it a few more songs and then I went home. And I was yeah. like, no, nah, I'm done. I guess it's funny, eh? Because, like, for me, like, I went and saw her, I don't know, it was probably about four or five years ago. She played at Meow. She was at Meow and she played it. Yeah. And it was... It wasn't that one I saw, but yeah. Yeah, and it was... It was I, I was absolutely blown away mm. by it. And I think the reason it blew me away so much is because I felt like it, like if past lives were a thing, I mm. felt like she'd taken me back to some weird, fucked up, like, medieval life that I lived mm, that mm. Terror was terrifying. And it actually had a, an actual sort of weirdly spiritual effect on me, her 
her stuff. And I guess people are sort of, I guess, like, you know, if people are that kind of involved in her work, then they probably would get upset yes, if yeah. someone's saying she's not being you know, genuine or whatever, mm. you know, and I'm mm. not, I'm not, you know, yeah, that, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that at all. I get it. Everyone's got a different opinion, mm. but I can understand why people might be like, well, why does Bob Dylan get to be that? But she yeah, doesn't, yeah, you know, because yeah. she yeah. is just kind of, she's got big ovaries. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was just hearing you describe, describe all of that. I was thinking like, there is something very, very poetry about her totally. music. And not, her lyrics. Uh, you know, not poetic, like yeah. there's that too, but just about the whole package. Yeah. The, and I think the videos, like the, I mean, her, her dancing, her movement mm. is incredible. Yeah. I don't like that video of hers that, I really don't like the video of hers that has got, they're out in a field and they're both in like kind of weird kimonos and her mum's. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. I don't like that, but I love um, her, is it Party? party the one where she's kind of got like like little cut off shorts oh, and look I, I don't know the yeah, names anyway, but I know the video you're talking so about it's so good yeah. like I just yeah I thought but, I don't know yeah 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 one of them's a video where she's in a car and one of them's that yeah, one yeah. where she's riffing on the apocalypse now yes yeah that's yeah. that's cool yeah. like, like that's amazing and then one of the new ones has really cool dancing in it mm. and no I'm, I'm I'm real down with that I mean if I had to, if you if you go and listen to the podcast I did with Chris Tease, yeah. you'll hear us just talk for about an hour and a half about female singer songwriters. Right. That's yeah, all. Yeah. <laughs> it's most. He loves. I know, but I'm I'm right on thing, eh? I'm right on board with most of his yeah his uh, his choices. And I'm not the Madonna fan that he is. Yeah. But I don't dislike Madonna. Yeah. I, you know she's created some stuff I dig, yeah, but he's yeah. a fanboy, I'm not, yeah. but we're both into things like Heather Nova and yeah. Suzanne Vega and Kate Bush and Rara, you and know, Bjork or yeah, 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 all that stuff I love, you know, like I think there was certainly a period in my life where, you know, it's a weird genre, female singer-songwriters, Mm-mm. it's not really a genre, but it, it's become, it became one. It's been made a genre. It's been made one, isn't it? Against, you know, yes. because... They have vaginas. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But for, for just for shorthand, mm. um, if there was a, if that was a, a real genre at mm. one point, that would be my favourite. Yeah, yeah. Music, you know, yeah, and totally. you know, you heard me talk about Joni Mitchell earlier. Like, mm. there's sort of key people that yeah. I just think of as amazing. I actually do my best to not say yeah. female singer songwriter, you know, because yeah, yeah. it's just like that's yeah, just yeah. one of my favourite musicians. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's you know. And I know Joni Mitchell's big bugbear is why is she the female Bob Dylan? Yeah, totally. Why isn't she just Joni Mitchell? Why isn't he the female Joni Mitchell? You know, I know he was around for slightly... The male Joni Mitchell. I know he was around for slightly longer than her. In that sense, he kind of got there first or whatever. But, yeah, you know, like... Yeah. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's and I think a lot of it comes back to, like... I mean, you know... There is a whole kind, and you would know more about this than me because I'm not involved in the critic, critics kind of circles. But there is, like, they have you been. are. You're just on the other side. Of <laughs> yeah, the I'm on the critique. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the, the critique. Yeah, you're on the hit list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But you're not on the shit list just yet. So not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Maybe second. Anyway, sorry. But there's a lot of conversation around the culture of New Zealand critiquing and mm. like why is it that people can't handle a harsh mm. critique mm. and then on the other side of that there is why is it that people feel the need to go so hardcore yeah. in, in criticisms so there's so there's sort of 
Yeah. I think as a small country, there's growth to be had in that area. Massively. On both sides. Like, that's, yeah, that's conversation that um, I'm quite fascinated by, but again, it probably, it probably doesn't do me huge favours to come out really strongly on that anymore. But, yeah, right. you know, I would, I would argue that actually we need to be tougher. And yeah. that's, 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 if anything. I mean, but I get why people don't want to deal with that. I get why people don't want to be subjected to that, don't want to read that. Mm. Um, don't f- I understand completely. Yeah, and you also don't want to read, like, banal, nice, mm. like, nicey-nicey critics, you know, positive reviews of everything. Because no. you, you, you want people to have an opinion and be able to say, you know, actually, I really, really didn't like this, and this is my opinion that, mm, mm. you know... I mean, my favourite reviews to read and sometimes to write, but and I have done them, but um, certainly to read are when people are genuinely wrestling with something. Mm, like they actually, yeah. you get that they quite like the artist or possibly love them, yes. but they've felt really let down by a particular thing. Yeah. And that's what I say, like we're so small, like, and, and I, you know, I understand it with me with Aldous Harding. I, I came out so strong in a way. And in a, in a, you know, I trivialised her album by posting it. You know, right. get, I get that people yeah. can see that. Um, so, you know, if I did come out in favour of the new album and talked about how great it was, I could get mm. why people go, well, "Why do we believe you now?" And you're just trying to. Yeah. So I understand that, but then, yeah, it's interesting when you get people. Like, like I was a big fan of the Phoenix Foundation. And I saw them a lot of times live and really liked them. And sometimes they just yeah. were fucking terrible. Yeah. And they really <laughs> let the side down. I really yeah. believe that. And I had to. I saw them twice one weekend at the Arts Festival and I had to review the first night because the paper wanted the review. Yeah. And the first night they were fucking dreadful. Yeah. And I wrote it and I wrote the review and I don't know if any of them cared about it. Yeah. But... I guarantee some of them at least read it and then I had to sit in the audience the second night watching them and they were fucking great and they were great and I had and it was at a time when I didn't there was no Facebook yeah well not for me anyway and there was no I don't think I had a blog at the time or whatever so there was no way of coming back and saying of not even apologising for the negative review but just going hey the great news is they were good again I didn't get to do that and I remember thinking about that a lot going like you know we don't have at that point we didn't have the platforms for that it was weird but I had to write what I saw and they were fucking dreadful there were other times I raved about them and that is the that is the I guess the not the risk that you run but the the hard side of doing that Mm. of doing that of doing that job mm, is mm. that you do have to have an opinion mm. and you can't go back in time mm. and you know or unpublish something that was published the day before you saw the good mm. one and that is I mean I have to that's right and I have to believe I have to go with the full you know when I say I have to believe that sounds really like I'm important or whatever but um you know if I had I mean I guess we wouldn't have this conversation if I hadn't read your book but because that's why I wanted to talk to you but if I had read your book but i had you around and we had this conversation and then I read your book and mm. I thought fuck I don't like this mm. I'm going to review it that's on me and I have yeah. to do it yeah totally and I have to totally. just, or I have to decide whether I, you know if I'm com- yeah. actually commissioned to review it yeah 
And I guess that's the reason I got into doing the podcasts was yeah. it's a chance to connect with people a bit more mm. than just writing something. Because you write something about someone, you write a review. If I'd written a review of your book mm. and it had got to you and you and I had connected on social media, you might have sent me a message saying, hey, thanks for the nice review. Yeah. And I might have sent you, I would have sent you a reply saying, cool, I really liked it. Yeah. And that might have been it. But now we get yeah. to have had this exchange. Yeah. And this, to me, is a lot more, and hopefully to you, is a lot more meaningful than just, yeah. oh, you liked my book, cool. Definitely. Definitely. And it's kind of like, in a funny way, the reverse of reviewing something mm. you've been asked to review. Because you get then get to read it, like you say, and mm. decide what you mm. think about it. And then choose whether you want to talk to the person. Mm. And mm. probably, if you're talking to the person, you like it mm. on some level. And so you... That's right. Already yeah, in a yeah, positive yeah. space. Yeah. So that's it's a it's a nice a nice. And thing. it's about yeah it's about ch- yeah curating I hate the word but curating yeah. your own you know like choosing who you wanna you know I've had years of interviewing and reviewing people because I've been yeah. asked to do it and sometimes when you interview someone you've been asked to they they're really great yeah it turns out to be really cool yeah yeah and but you can really you can just feel when they're not interested in it yeah who's the most famous person you've ever interviewed um. Do you mean face to face? Yeah, or just or in general? I, I don't know. Um, I guess I don't know. Face to face. Last yeah. year, I interviewed Suzanne Vega. Oh yeah! Wow. Um, for, she like? for the podcast, yeah. which was cool. So it was yeah, yeah. She agreed cool. to do that. So that went for about an hour, or yeah. just under an hour. It was it was cool. Yeah, that was yeah. really cool. I was um, really into it, and she was really nice. Yeah, and we had a nice chat and. I was just on the verge of sort of fanboy gushing and getting a little bit too <laughs> involved in my origin story with her music, yeah. and I had yeah. to pull myself back and go, no, 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 you don't need to know how much I love you. How much I love you, <laughs> not just yet. You know, we'll yeah. get we'll get into we'll that. So, yeah, yeah, it. that's right. Because yeah. it was a bit so. So there was that moment, and I caught myself in that mm. moment. But she was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've interviewed some famous, and I sort of forget. Yeah. You know, you sort of forget. Like I did a lot of phoners with people like Nora Jones and yeah. um, you know, big uh, Robert uh, John Paul Jones from Led right. Zeppelin. Yeah, you yeah, know, um, yeah. what's really cool. That was a buzz for me. My favourite phone interview I've ever done is with Sonny Rollins, the jazz saxophonist. Right. But if yeah. people don't know jazz, they go, well, "Who cares?" But yeah, right. yeah. fuck, he was eighty years old when I talked <laughs> to him, and he, you know, he he shot heroin with. Miles Davis when wow. he was 19, you know, That's like, dude's got stories, yeah. you know, he survived 9-11, yeah. you know, he, rah, 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 so I spent yeah. an hour on the phone with him, and I walked down the hall afterwards, it looked like I'd been in a fight, you yeah. know, I felt, like, punch drunk, <laughs> I was just, it was amazing, Blown like, I, I just about fell over, you know, putting the phone down, I was just like, how has that happened to me, is wow. it, I remember being 12 and listening to Sonny Rollins and going, fuck, I love this dude's playing, and then there I am talking to him. And he's part of a world that... It's For most people, they only think exists in sort of old Hollywood. Yeah, you know, yeah. That well, kind he's of other dimension. Also, yeah, as part of that, he's basically a Wikipedia page for yeah. a lot of people now. Right. You know, like if Is he's he ref- no, no, no. But I just mean in terms <laughs> that's that's how they get their knowledge about right. him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, if they, you know, if they're not actively aware of him and listening to music, someone says, "Well, you got to check this dude out." The first stops Wikipedia. Well, yeah. I got to hear firsthand his. All his, his all his amazing stories. That is so cool. And he's one of those dudes who 
he's the influence for Bleeding Gums Murphy and The right. Simpsons. Right, right, right. Lisa Simpson's great yeah. saxophone right. hero. You know, so you know, you get you meet someone who doesn't know Sonny Rollins, but they know The Simpsons. Yeah. Like, you can tell them that, and so he's actually defined popular culture. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he plays the saxophone solo on. Um, the Rolling Stones song Waiting right, on a Friend right. so like even, you know, even if you don't know jazz but you know classic rock you suddenly yeah. you know there's all these di- you know it's just one of those people yeah, he's, he's that he's, in, he's, yeah, that. he's, he's in the that, culture yeah. in, in many ways so you know but then I remember when I worked at Borders Bookstore people I worked with were really excited because I went to the stadium to interview Fergie Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> whereas I just couldn't give a fuck Fergie. about whereas yeah. I and she was big like yeah, this was yeah. she had broken out from the Black Eyed Peas and yeah. the first solo album was out but I just that was just a job like the Sunday paper rang me and said we need someone in Wellington to go backstage and interview yeah. Fergie and I was like yeah I'll, I'm your chump I'll do that for a, I'll oh do that for a hundred bucks or whatever it was <laughs> you know it was nothing <laughs> like and that was but there were girls at my work going can you can you get her to sign this? And it was like a Dolly magazine or Seventeen or something, <laughs> oh one of God. those magazines that Dolly. she'd written a letter to herself in or something. You know, can you can you maybe get her to sign this? Yeah. And it's like, you know, sure, I'm sure, like, fine, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So I mean, she was perfectly fine to speak to. Yeah, but yeah. I don't, you know, I never got the whole Fergie thing. No, neither. I never got it. Never. No, yeah. no, you know, shade to her, but just didn't mm. ever get that whole thing. No. The best interviews you do are the ones like we're doing now though where they're not an interview where yeah, just you know chat. where you just chat yeah. and again that's the great thing about a podcast just spend a couple of hours talking to someone get to know them yeah totally they can tell you whatever they want to and Shoot you can the breeze and then you can do whatever with it yeah. but it's amazing to think people still in this in this sort of hyper intense time mm. can decide yeah I'll I'll talk about myself for a yeah. A couple of hours, or I'll, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'll engage with someone, <laughs> yeah. and I'll yeah, yeah. answer and ask. It's cool. It like, is cool. It's really cool. I had never done a podcast before, um, the one with Papadum, and it was just such a nice. It's such a nice form of communication. Like it's so. Well, Pip's kind of, the best. She's so amazing. Doesn't she live like two houses she's down there? A little bit more, about little four. More. Yeah. 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 That's and so, we did it. We were just yeah. Like yeah. Down there. Yeah, I went down and did her podcast. We talked about Leonard Cohen a yeah. couple of years ago, and. Um, that was really cool. And then I had to bug her for about two years to come back and right. repay the favour. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not because she didn't want to do it. No. Just, it just didn't come up and she's busy and she's Have busy you writing. The new oh, fuck yeah. That is one of the most amazing books yeah. I've ever read. 100%. I, it's so extraordinary. I've been meaning to say to her how much I loved it because. She it, won't take that well. She, I know. Like, I loved it, but I hated same. it at the same yeah, time. Like, I found me- it like... Well, she'll take that better. Yeah. She'll like that. And it, it, it was just the one of the weirdest books I've ever read. And mm. I felt really annoyed by it 75% of the time. And then I realised why it was like that. And then the ending was just the most outrageous thing yeah. I've ever read. That fight yeah. with the octopus. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like... What the fuck? And I still can't get over that book. It's like yeah, same. One of those books I'm just like, wow. I just yeah. adored it. I did too. And I was, um, and I haven't actually read um, Working on a Building. No, but I haven't I, either. But I will. Because I, and I yeah. love her book of short stories. Yeah. And um, I love um, loads of the stuff that she does. I love the podcast. And yeah. man, the best, some of the best stuff she does is these like, any other short sort of essay type things she's been doing. Mm. She did an amazing one last year for Word Christchurch about um, the front lawn. Right. 
about the band The Front Lawn, about the song oh, Andy. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, it's in yeah, sport. Yeah, it's in sport. I have read That's that. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. And I did uh, Lit Crawl last year with her yeah. and Tay Tibble, and it was kind of like, what the fuck am I doing there with those two? Like, it was sort of like... I can see how it makes well, sense. Well, yeah, I okay, it. and it did in the end. Yeah, it yeah. really worked. But it was kind of like, oh, fuck, someone's having a laugh here. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I, you want to talk about feeling pressured first day of your right. master's yeah, course. Yeah, you know, this was my... This was my reintroduction to reading work mm. aloud, and there I was with the person who'd won the top poetry prize and the person who'd run, won the no, top fiction, fiction novel <laughs> yeah, pr- prize, and I was just kind of like at a kind of you know I guess queer friendly event, and here I was as big dumb straight white male it was. You know, it was pretty. It was pretty cool feeling like a minority. Actually, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was totally. good. It worked, but but um, Pip's thing. She read it. That was amazing. Yeah, we all had. We all got given a song we had to respond to. Yeah, and so hers was a Lana. Uh, hers was Lana Del Rey song. Yeah, but uh, the song was Lolita. So she got into the whole history of Lolita. Right, wrote yeah, about yeah. the films, the book. Yeah. The whole concept of the Lolita figure, really. Yeah. It's amazing. She's yeah. so good. She's incredible. Yeah. She's so, um, like, she's someone who I just feel like has an incredible amount of integrity. Mm-hmm. Like, a real, I feel like she really walks the walk, but she doesn't feel the need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. She just is yeah, oh, totally. living the way that she believes I don't know, she's just, she's awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. And and her, um, I love the kind of bond, the kind of mutual respect and admiration between her and Carl Shooker because when I read Carl's book, that it's not similar to New Animals at yeah. all, but I felt the same way. Right. Just in terms of being yeah. blown away by yeah. by the ideas, the execution, and, and the relative brevity of it, the mm. concise way that this thing had exploded upon a few pages and really just and it's really just a couple of hundred pages you know yeah, like right. not a three or four hundred page novel in both cases it's one, it's yeah. pretty trim yeah like single sitting or two sittings yeah and two or three sittings you can read it and i yeah so i kind of compared it to that i was yeah. like fuck she's good and fuck he's read. good i can't wait to read Kasha mistake is amazing yeah it's so good i just I, one of the things i love doing is reading a book not knowing anything about what the book's about and right, I absolutely yeah. know nothing and I love going into a book like that yeah just, yeah yeah just total surprise and that's a great title to yeah go into because it could you be know. anything yeah but it kind of sounds like it's going to be drama like some kind of drama is going to unfold yeah 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 um, I can't wait to read it do you want to read a final poem oh sure yeah yeah um I will read what shall I read I will read... Um, are you going to cut this bit out? No, I'll keep oh, this okay. no, So hurry up. No, of course I'll cut it out. <laughs> I'll read Final 80s... Oh, no. Yeah, Final 80s Expose. Yeah, cool. Okay. Perfect. Uh, final 80s Expose. At an auction of Jacqueline Fahey's art, all your old teachers in their batik headbands drink Henkel Trocken and swing parrot earrings from pulled lobes. Every face is almost the one you want to see, and every conversation about a daughter that isn't quite you. She's an awfully clever scholar. She's beautiful at science, and her algebra is simply magnifique. On the floor, a river of peewees, clinkers, and galaxies roll in a stream toward a small hole in the corner of the room. 
and children scrabble about on their knees, dragging collaged party hats behind them like parachutes. From downstairs there is a rhythmic thump, 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 where a Morrissey concert that you're dying to get to has already begun, but the auction hasn't started yet and you're fretting because you need to get away and because you need that painting. The one where your mother, finished teaching for the day, sits at a table, her diamond ring, haze and Paul Mall smoke, and the wispy brown quarter moon of a child's head can be, can be seen to rest against her knees. Sugar magnolia, blossom is blooming, that's all Indian, I don't care. So my baby down by the river, knew she had to come up soon for air. Sweet blossom, come on, under the willow, we can have high times if you look back. Of nature rolling in the brushes down by the riverside. She's got everything we like for. She's got everything I need. Takes the wheel when I'm seeing double. Pays my ticket when I Sugar Magnum. 